All right, in three, two, one, and we're live. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you were here? How about new, you crazy Dutch bastard? What we've got here is failure to communicate. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. Why so serious? I am serious. I don't call me sure. What's up, everybody? It's Friday night, and you know what that means. It's the dads that drink. We've poured our drinks. We've made ourselves happy. We crawled into your ear hole, looked around, didn't find anything. Tonight, we have very special guests. They are the co-directors, and not only that, but spouses of the movie Dead Dicks. Now, I know it sounds funny right off the bat, but this film tackles some great issues, and it does it in a lighthearted way sometimes, and in a very dark and twisted way in others. So let's bring our guests on. First off, we're going to have Chris Bavoda. Chris is an award-winning filmmaker. He's raised on a steady diet of B-movie action and psychological horror. Beginning his career as a screenwriter, he has collaborated with multiple directors on commercial and narrative projects. His first feature-length script, Gasly's, was directed by Brett Kelly and released in 2017. Dead Dicks is his fourth screenplay in collaboration with Lee Paula Springer and the directional debut of the filmmaking duo. And joining him tonight is Lee Paula Springer, who is his wife and an award-winning screenwriter and director from Montreal, Canada. With a background in literary and film transition, she transitioned to filmmaking in 2018 with her first feature-length screenplay. Her directional debut, Dead Dicks, co-written and co-directed with Chris Bavoda, premiered at the Fantasia International Film Festival in 2019 and took home the Audience Award for Best Canadian Feature. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank Hello. you. Thank you for having us. We are excited that you are here. Um, we're already getting some uh, people in the chat room that are talking already. <laughs> so uh, I think this is going to be a good one. So right off the bat, let's let's talk about the movie, okay? Um, and let's go from kind of concept to actually putting it on film. Mm -hmm. And what's really incredible about this movie is – the budget, we really want to talk about the budget and how you guys came up with this. So let's start with conception. You two are married, you're hanging out, you're talking, go. <laughs> um, well, I guess the original idea was something that was floating around in my head for a while. Um, and then Lee and I had been working on a different project that kind of fell apart. And we decided we couldn't just keep going without having something to do. And so we challenged ourselves to kind of come up with an idea uh, a script and see if we could raise enough money to get a movie done within six months um, because we had a, like an arbitrary deadline to submit to this film festival. And so the idea of a man who gets pooped out of a wall uh, <laughs> first nugget, I guess, of pooped. 
Poops. Yeah. Key term. Remember that. Of uh, what turned into dead dicks. And I think at first we both had a hard time trying to figure out how there was a movie in that. Um, but we were going through some things at the time. And I think like the, the topic of mental health and suicide was kind of just a part of our life um, during that time. And so it kind of just flowed out of us into the script and, you know, turned into dead dicks. And so when you do it, you guys are actually working on another film, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's kind of go into that a little bit and then talk how we got, eventually we get around to the movie that we saw. Yeah, sure. Well, we were originally, uh, we had we had written a few uh, feature scripts together. Um, and at some point, uh, a producer, a a friend of ours was like, have you guys ever thought about directing together? Because previously Chris had directed some shorts and, you know, I'd been in them because they had no dialogue and I was willing to be in special effects makeup. So then we said, okay, well, we'll write, we'll write another feature. And we were, were developing um, an adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft story called The Outsider. Uh, and that seemed to have a little bit of traction and we were pretty excited. We had some promising meetings. We went down from um, Montreal where we live in Canada to Toronto uh, during the TIFF film festival, took some meetings there. Things seemed great. And then on the drive home, we just got a bunch of phone calls that were just back to back to back. No, no, pass, 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 pass. And uh, so it was like the saddest car ride (laughs) home um but we sort of decided okay we can be really sad for these five and a half six hours Mm -hmm. the drive home and then when we when we get back we have to have another plan Mm -hmm. um and so that plan happened to be about a man being pooped out of a wall i would say burst yeah well the original (laughs) idea was poop but it, it it developed as good ideas do well not to spoil uh you know, spoiler or anything, but when you see the movie, there there is no question if it's a booty hole or a vagina, in my opinion. <laughs> oh, it's definitely a vagina. I don't think I'm giving anything up on that. Yeah. Listen, I was on set. It was an asshole. <laughs> I uh, respectfully disagree with the writer <laughs> and the director. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when you talk about it, and you guys are working together, we um. A couple of weeks ago, we had the honeymoon phase on. You know those guys. Uh, Chloe was acting in it, and of course, Philip was directing it. That's husband and wife. And so we talked to them about some of the kind of struggles that you go through doing this because being with your spouse 24 hours a day, working at home, everything like that, it it's got to uh, it's got to get to you at some points. Now, granted, you're on a very short schedule, but mm-hmm. being on that short schedule, that's amping up the, the the kind of stress level. So how do we get past that? Do you guys just love each other so much that you overlook it? Or do sometimes you're like, man, I really hate you and I cannot talk to you right now? <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> I think well, we were really concerned with how other people um, would react to us being like a married duo. Uh, and a directing duo and so we wanted to make sure that everyone was very reassured that they weren't going to be in the middle of some type of spousal you know fight on set and so we had to make sure that both of us were on the same page when it came to everything so that if they either came to me or they came to lee on set we both had the same response as to the direction we wanted to go 
So it was a lot of preparation for us just to make sure that on set we were going to be professional and that people were going to feel comfortable, you know, with us around at the possibility of us maybe disagreeing or something like that. But it was really preparation, I think. Oh, yeah. We did all our fighting before in pre-production. And then we had some arguments in editing. Yeah. But when we were on set, we had to be sort of one mind. Um, but we got some really good advice beforehand for from some uh, other local directors. Um, the RKSS, which is a collective that made Turbo Kid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the summer of 84. And summer of 84. Uh, they live in the same city. Uh, and Montreal is a pretty small place. They're very friendly mm. people. Uh, and the, those three, it's a, uh, a woman, her brother, and her partner mm -hmm. who have been making movies together since they were kids. And so we just asked, we took them out and asked them for some advice. And they were just like, have designated roles for yourselves on set that are different get on the same page beforehand and then when you're on set you're sort of doing distinct things mm -hmm. so in dead dicks 90 percent of the time i'd say chris was very much with camera mm -hmm. and i was mostly with actors a couple times we switched but mm -hmm. that was usually how it went and it was great because i said later we, we made the movie in 10 days yeah and if we hadn't been two people, I have no idea how we would have ever done it. Like, I don't know how anybody directs alone. <laughs> and, and can you guys explain a little bit more? Um, you know, it was interesting. You said that, that Chris was doing more of the, the camera and you were doing actors. Can you kind of go into that and, and kind of what that entails and, um, and kind of just, you know, expand on that? Sure. Um, well, I was, I spent most of the time with the camera department, which meant, you know, setting up the shots discussing the lighting and and you know like the movement and all of that um and where we were going in regards to like one, from one shot to the next and while we were setting up and doing that lee would often be with the actors discussing the scene and possibly even some of the blocking and then we would come together see all of it happen and then lee and i would discuss a few things and then you know we'd either go through the shot or split up again and then um yeah, it pretty much went like that time and time again. And, and when we were shooting, uh, we were in a location that was an apartment building that just had an apartment on each floor, but we had two of the floors. So the top floor was where we shot. And then right below, there was a gutted apartment that we held all of our crew in. And it was like the cast green room, which was pretty much just like an empty room in the back. Um, and so sometimes I was downstairs preparing a special effect that we had shot in the little corner of that area. And then Lee was upstairs getting the actors ready for a shot. And then we were both moving and sometimes working on different things at the same time. So having the two of us there really helped speed things along. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would often say on set, like, use both heads of the Hydra because I was really confident if somebody had a question and it was something that Chris could speak to more than me that I knew the answers would be what we would have wanted because we had we talked a lot um, uh, in, in pre-production to yeah. prepare because that's we were already first-timers and it was already nerve-wracking and also I think people were a little nervous two directors mm -hmm. it's unusual and a husband and wife there's nothing worse than like being in a couple's car when they're <laughs> fighting or like at oh, yeah. their house yeah. so just magnified that you know on a set mm -hmm. so we were just like we can't fight in front of mm -hmm. them ever well, well i have mad respect for that because um that's um 
actually very complimentary of, I think, probably your relationship in general. And, you know, I think it almost takes more planning for both y'all to, to share a vision and simultaneously work that individually, but it have a collective meaning and, and basis. So I can already see the challenge in that. Not only that's like, you know, I can look at it from a sports perspective. It's like you never would see coaches fight each other or disagree on the field or practice that often, you know, went in the meeting rooms. So I would have, you know, for me to, um, it's almost like the parenting rule, like, hey, just don't do it in front of your kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't bring that crap out in front of the kids and don't don't trigger some, don't use buttons, hot buttons, you know, you know. Um, so that's a testament to just how organized you probably are in general, but also to just the planning phase, mm-hmm. how important it was to make it success, successful, but also it not be awkward for your your work, your, your, your actor. So good job yeah. on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. I don't. I don't think there were any. We we had a, quite a lot of behind the scenes footage. I never saw anything like that yeah. blow up. So there was. I, I could tell you now. There was. There was a few days where, or a few moments throughout the day, you know, where we were always. It wasn't like we were at each other's throat, but there was just something happening that we had to find a solution for. And it gets tense in those moments, especially when you're like, we have ten pages to get through today. And so we have to complete these 10 pages or it messes up everything. We can't finish this movie in 10 days if we're not shooting 10 pages a day. Um, when a normal film would have like two or three Maybe pages one a day. to two. You know, there are, there are some big Hollywood movies where they shoot one sequence over four or five days. And it's literally just two people talking in a room or something like that. They wow. A lot yeah. of time on stuff. And with indie uh, filmmaking, you really are just blasting through some things sometimes. And when you have special effects like we we didn't realize it when we wrote the script but we were like oh it's just like two people in a room but there's also a dead version of one person there and a dead version of the other person there and so we had to shoot a lot of things twice with an actor and makeup on one side of the room and then they'd have to go and get out of makeup and change the costume and then act on the other side of the room and we had to lock off the camera and so there's a lot of the movie that had that and so we were shooting a lot of sequences twice um, just for that special effect that doesn't even seem like it's a special effect. So there were so many things in the movie that we didn't really think through uh, in the writing process um, that ended up being quite challenging on set because of all of this effect, this doubling that was going on. So even for 10 days, we really crammed a lot of stuff in there. Well, you should congratulate yourself because that same film model was just used in Tenet. They would shoot it. Mm-hmm. slide it over and shoot the exact same scene again. I, I see big things for you. I see a hundred million dollars for your next one. <laughs> he obviously saw dead dicks before he got inspired. I, you know what? That's exactly what I thought when I heard that. I was like, that guy's a dead dicks fan. So what we did watch was uh, we watched the film Dead Ringers mm-hmm. like David Cronenberg, like a huge hero. Well, there's a couple little hints to David yeah. Cronenberg yeah. in your movie. There's times to try and figure out how does he do it? Yeah. Where is the line? Uh, it's so clever that you, this Jeremy Irons plays his own twin brother. Mm-hmm. And oh, he, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's a great and very weird movie. Wow. Um, and so we watched that several times before to try and yeah, we just to try and figure out the the techniques used in how they act against each other or on the screen and are moving past each other. Like that's the hardest thing is that if you just have two characters on opposite sides, like if the line is right between here, it's very easy. We stay on each side and that's that. But if I walk across 
all of a sudden I have to be masked out and make sure it looks natural and all of this stuff. It's really, it's, it's so much more complicated than you would think. And it was way more complicated than we even thought it would be. And so when we were editing it, I ended up having to teach myself how to do some type of basic masking and visual effects and all that stuff just to make all of these like non-existent effects actually work. Like we didn't even realize that we had to do all that stuff. So, so we prepared, but not <laughs> extremely prepared. Right. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, in it being your first feature, that speaks a lot to people really don't know until they do it, until they jump, you know, you know, feet first into it. They don't really know what they're doing. And you have to kind of teach yourself on the fly. Now, I, I want to talk real quick about the budget and and how what's so great is how you made some of these effects happen and stuff like that. You were talking to Jeff and I during the sound check a couple of days ago about how you stretch this budget out. Yeah. And the reason I want to talk about this is we, we try and do this with every, you know, small independent filmmaker, things like that is to show people, you don't have to be scared to go out and do it. You can make something happen from whatever you have. And that's kind of the story that we want to get across to everyone who even has the idea to kind of jump into this. So let's start off with the budget first, and then we will do the currency exchange rate uh, <laughs> because you guys are in Canada. We didn't mention that. We're down here in the United States. We'll, we'll do the currency exchange and we'll go from there. So the film's budget was a completely arbitrary. Uh, it was based on what we thought we could sort of beg, borrow, and steal from uh, friends and family. Uh, so we set it at $25,000 Canadian. So that equates to about $12 US. I think we came up with it. So <laughs> Give or take a couple pennies. <laughs> Give or take. So you get this, and, and you guys aren't even phased by it, really, because you've never made a feature and stuff. So you're thinking $25,000, we are king of the world right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, when we, we had the money, it ended up being, I don't want to say it was easy, but the money was raised in about two weeks. And it was a lot of talking, a lot of talk, like begging from friends and family, but we were building it up with like $500 at a time or a thousand dollars at a time. I also, uh, my dad is seventh of eight children. So I was really able to write to different uncles and be like, dear uncle Frank, would you like to be <laughs> part of this exciting opportunity? P.S. Auntie Pat already gave this much money. Yeah. Oh, I like <laughs> that. You Game of Thrones that shit. Yeah. Um, but all the Springer family was very supportive. Um, yeah, the Bavoda family was very supportive. Um, there's a lot of people out there that I guess care about us enough to invest in us to follow this kind of ridiculous dream. And we um, had never really borrowed money before, so I think they felt like, okay, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, let me stop. I just want to kind of interject in there. When you were asking all these family members for money and stuff, right? And you're going around, are you telling the asshole story every single time? No, uh, not really. I think we're we're <laughs> oh we're, hold on now. Oh, we might have our first spousal fight right here. So I think we said it was a horror movie, and I think we said it was gonna be about a brother and sister and like the sister trying to help the brother deal with some mental health issues. And, um, but we did tell them it was called dead dicks. And so what they assumed was coming out of that. I don't know. Some of them read the script though. Yeah, they read it. A few of them read the script. Not all of them. But did of them. anyone say anything? Did anyone question the, the title from your families? My sister said she hated it. As soon okay. as she, 
I told it to her. She's like, I think it's stupid. <laughs> and I was like, well, but and you did you say, I think you're stupid. And yeah. yeah. And I did you up. have like an aunt Bessie who said, you're going to hell nephew. No, but <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, even my mother who I was like, Oh, I don't know what she's going to think. And she was just like, it was great. It was great. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Oh, it was neat, yeah. our families were really supportive. I don't mm. think most of them would have ever seen this movie if it weren't made by us. Like mm. it's not really their type of fair, let's say, but they yeah. like us, so they were like on board. My mom watches this show every week because she's like <laughs> our biggest fan. So <laughs> by the way, what time's your mom leaving tomorrow? Mine? <laughs> That's not funny. <laughs> That's Inside jokes. There's, there's, there's people here. <laughs> it's not funny. So uh, you guys are making the twenty five thousand, and you're looking around. You you kind of start to realize as you're making the movie, like, hey, we need to have effects and some stuff that we didn't think about. But you kind of fell under a lucky star about all this stuff, and and just kind of made it work. Mm -hmm. I think I guess it was twenty years of you know um, helping other people. And with that karma kind of came back to us while uh, we started making this. And even at, right at the beginning, um, it was a friend of mine, Nico Venn, who um, is the cinematographer. And I had met him a couple years earlier when he was trying to find a screenwriter. And uh, the producer of Tur Turbo Kid, who was also the producer on The Outsider, connected us. Um, and then when we were about to shoot Dead Dicks, I was like, would you be interested in shooting it for us? And he said, yes. And he said, I have a bunch of equipment. We could use it. And I said, that's great. We'll just shoot it. Like he shoots documentaries mostly and said, maybe we could just shoot it like a documentary. It'll be really interesting. And then um, he's like, I'm going to go to this workshop and I'll see if I could ask some advice about using uh, his camera for doing more like cinematic stuff as opposed to just documentary stuff. Uh, he ended up running into an old friend of his who works at a um, rental house in Montreal and he started talking to him about dead dicks and he was like, Oh, I'd love to meet the filmmakers. And so we went in and started talking to him and he said, listen, I have all of this equipment that's sitting here um, that doesn't get used. It's a bit older, but if you'd like to borrow that camera and those lenses and all of these lights, you could have them. Wow. So he gave us an amazing, it was a 99.9% .9 discount on all of the camera equipment. So we ended up shooting it on uh, an Alexa, classic which was like the the go-to hollywood camera from about 10 years ago okay it has the same sensor on the new alexa mini which is a lot of things shoot so the quality of the image we got was very textured and beautiful and we shot it on these uh cook lenses which is also a, like a, a set of lenses that are usually used on hollywood productions so our camera kit ended up giving us kind of like a, a higher quality image than we could have ever imagined getting. And he, as much as Nico's camera that we were going to shoot it on was would have given us a good looking film, the Alexa kind of gave us something kind of more classic. I say it looks like it was almost shot on like Super 16, like from the 70s almost, because there's a lot of browns and reds in it. Um, so we ended up getting this really great equipment. Um, and that was just the beginning of like our good luck as we started moving forward with this film which it's interesting because it so many t like if we've tried to make a movie so many times and failed so many times <laughs> that when this one finally happened it was suddenly like everything was just boom boom like just falling into place somehow mm -hmm. like 
meeting the right people who mm -hmm. then would be able to do it or they knew somebody who could help you. Mm -hmm. And so the getting this camera and those lenses was like totally unexpected. Mm -hmm. It was a beast. That thing is huge. It weighs 50 pounds. Yeah. Uh, trying to get it in that little apartment was not so easy. There's a car scene and the thing is like this. We couldn't even fit in the car. We had yeah. to be in a follow car. Yeah, Nico is sitting in the front seat holding it to try and keep it in focus. <laughs> on uh, Dave Campbell while he was driving yeah. and then turning in the back to get Jillian. And uh, one time it fell and our uh, assist a first assistant camera operator caught it. It weighed like as much as she did. Mm. Was, oh, wow. Uh, but it was incredible. We were yeah. so grateful. And there were so many instances of, of people helping us out like that, like friends of ours who owned restaurants, mm -hmm. who donated food to the set. Yeah, to the casting crew so they could eat delicious food. It's some little things like that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I think someone, you know, a, a regular guy like me that's not well-versed in movies or by any means how you make movies, all, all the, the details, the simplest things like providing meals and, um, you know, wardrobe, you know, all those things play into your effect. They affect your budget. Mm -hmm. So a budget as small as you guys, every little thing counts yeah. uh, per day, per hour, pretty much. Yeah. It pulls out of that. So um, um, I think that's pretty fascinating. And that's those are things that, that I normally would, you know, how do I know and even think about that stuff and in that type of business? So. Well, we should have been thinking about that stuff. And even us, we were just like, when, when our wardrobe person was uh, she's like, okay, so we're going to get three of the same outfit. And we're like, three of the same outfit? Why would we have to have three? She's like, well, there's the before the blood, after yeah, the there, blood, yep. and an extra just and in case. Safety. Yeah, safety. Yeah. Oh yeah, and it was amazing because the character, the 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 brother, uh, the the Dick yeah. Richie in it, he has he's a, uh, an artist, and his shirt is always covered in paint. But she had two that were like identical paint mm. stains that she made so that it would have continuity. Yeah, <laughs> um, things that you know you don't we didn't know anything about. So it was nice to have a, a crew that mm. did know what they were doing a bit. Yeah, because when you, when you do short films, sometimes you're just really everything is like a guerrilla style filmmaking, where you just show up and you're like, oh, we'll just shoot in this room now, and you're wearing what you're wearing, so we're just gonna shoot that. And but planning out like a, the feature length kind of version of a short film is like there's so many more things you really got to be considerate about in regards to continuity. Um, even like when you need to have actors there because sometimes you're like, okay, today we're just going to shoot this scene. So uh, Richie doesn't need to be here. And then halfway through the day, we're like, holy crap, we forgot that Richie's dead on the couch. <laughs> so he has to be in the scene all of a sudden now, you know? And so we have to get him in makeup and get him on set and make him be dead on the couch so that she could act in front of him. So man, so basically all, all the bodies. So I think the smart, the way it was shot smart, and I'm sure this is something you thought about is um, instead of having true body doubles or this incredible makeup and this dummy that looks just like Richie, mm -hmm. you, like you said, the way you filmed it, it was literally him and each one of those scenes just in makeup and it was staged, yeah. you know, to be dead Richie, correct? That's right. Yeah. We also, uh, many people on the crew also doubled as the other as cast members mm -hmm. um so our production designer uh was the same height and weight as our main actor except he had a huge beard and mm -hmm. long hair mm -hmm. so we sometimes used him to be like a shoulder or arms or yeah. legs. i played the sister's hands 
Uh, anytime <laughs> her hands are in it, they're mine. And also um, in the in the in well, there's a scene in the closet in a when closet she finds her body. Where, that's a big spoiler, but <laughs> no one's gonna watch the movie. <laughs> there's a scene in the oh, closet boy. where it's her. I think you're very wrong, sir. There's her and her, and one side of it is my. So we filmed it where she was on one side, I was on the other. We filmed it once, and then we switched, mm -hmm. and then they Chris just took my Pro, head yeah. out and put hers on my body so wow. it like she's against herself mm -hmm. so sometimes if it was not possible we tried to use the actors as much as possible but every once in a while we cheated uh with crew members mm -hmm. i think our um one of our like uh, production coordinator played uh legs <laughs> like we just borrowed everyone mm -hmm. from the crew and i'm i'm actually the thing that comes out of the wall it's me are you is it really Yep, I was. Man, what uh, what were you in? Like some sort of. It was so the our special effects artist Nina. I mean, I know what you were in, but what were yeah. you wearing? <laughs> she, um, she just took a yoga ball and she pretty much kind oh. of spread latex over it. So we had this kind of like it looked like an eyeball, um, but then when you climbed into it and stretched it out. And we covered it with slime and blood and stuff. It looked like the sack. And so yeah, inside it's just Chris. Well, one time it was Heston, but with a flashlight mm -hmm. and this stupid thing, and it looks totally real. Like, oh yeah, it looks. The thing about practical effects is like you can. They're way better than CG. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, oh, I agree with that. Actually, you Dustin, just I show totally agree portions that. of it to get away with something, right? You don't have to show this big elaborate thing, and I think the audience still believes it. Like even for the hole on the wall, it was literally just a wall in a room and we painted this big thing on it but then downstairs on the second floor we built a fake wall mimicked the entire thing and then just kind of sliced down the middle and then i just pushed myself through it so yeah we had <laughs> the real bedroom which was the guy whose apartment it was mm -hmm. he was still living in the apartment while we were shooting wow really and, and this was in montreal we don't shoot in montreal yeah we're sorry, my, yeah. okay it was a friend of ours. Uh, he and his two brothers own this building that used to be a women's clinic. <laughs> and it looked like a house from the outside almost. That's a different oh, building. Oh, that's a different building for the exterior. It's okay. like, oh, so what, for the dumpster like scene and going back in, a whole different like, building? The exterior is just this warehouse, like in the middle of nowhere that- Really? Uh, yeah, we only shot, we shot the ex outside and the kind of like uh, fire escape when she takes the bags down the back uh -huh. staircase. That was just in a warehouse in the middle of nowhere. And then the apartment building was on the top floor. Uh, the apartment was on the top floor of this mini apartment building in another part of town. So there was the main apartment where most of the things we filmed were there. And the, the guy who lived there was still sleeping there at night, like under this big crazy hole. And then right underneath it in the gutted apartment that had an identical layout, we built a replica set yeah. of the bedroom and that one there was like the not real the not real hole and the real functional hole yeah. was downstairs and so in the movie i, I remember at the time thinking this is never going to work and yeah. now when i watch it i can't always remember where we shot which, which one is real and which yeah. is fake yeah and so it was really unsafe the uh the whole <laughs> sequence so chris I did it. I didn't want <laughs> I didn't want to put Heston into that position because it was literally like the backside of a wall, a table, a gap of about a foot, and you had to hold yourself there while wrapped in this like 
rubber stack, flashing a flashlight and pushing yourself through this wall. And it took about 45 minutes to film it. In your underwear. I was I was in my underwear doing it, but when I got out of it, I couldn't stand up my because the latex thing was so tight, it was just pulling my head <laughs> down into my belly. So I was in like a fetal position. And then I had to just kind of like stand like that for about a half hour before I could kind of get back into a normal position. So I'm like, I'm so glad we didn't make Heston do that. So you were like, like during all this COVID stuff, you're like masks. You realize what I was just in and I could get out. <laughs> so also, the middle, the, the second, the bottom floor was not unheated. Mm -hmm. And it was, we Ooh. shot this in March in, in Canada, which is still very much the winter. Yeah, so like it was basically like a refrigerated minus set. 20. <laughs> we noticed only afterwards, some of the windows in that place were just missing. So it was just like open to the outdoor. <laughs> And that's where we kept our actors. That's where we ate lunch. That's where we had a bunch of the camera equipment. And that's where we did some of these special effects. Even the tunnel at the end. Um, the tunnel was actually, we placed it right behind the wall. So when Becca crawls into it, she crawls directly through the hole into this tunnel. And the tunnel was just a piece of foam that was painted and slimed up. And then a bunch of the crew were just pushing on the sides and there were lights kind of just going People like were this. running around with lights and pushing it. And you know so what it looked like? You know those those deals that your kids go through, like they're like made of like a a meshy thing, you know, and they have the little circles. I was yep. like, did they line that with like latex? We were gonna do that. That was the original concept, but it didn't work. Yeah, because it was not it didn't just didn't work. And so she ended mm -hmm. up making like a piece of foam from a bed, wrapping it like into a, a cylinder and then tying it off and then painting the inside. And then with the lights and the movement, it just came alive and some smoke. I like the pink lights. So those pink lights, I guess on the end on her face too, but were those just well, pinkish lights or what? An interesting story because we always had the concept that we wanted this sort of prism of light in a completely different color palette from the rest of the movie. Mm -hmm. And, but we didn't really talk about how we were going to achieve that. Yeah. Uh, and then on the day we were trying to shoot it and it just wasn't working. And we were trying like different gels and like we at put, one point we put something yeah. in a water bottle and we tried we were to shaking shake the water. That. Okay. It wasn't working. And, and we, we never had time to do more than like two or three takes of anything. And so we, they were like, okay, I guess we have to move on. And and I had wanted this shot so much and I was a bit heartbroken. And then it was such a supportive crew because then our script supervisor just was like, I just looked at your face and you looked so sad and I couldn't let it happen. And then it just came to me and she was like, a CD. And then we were like- Oh, Whoa. with light, yeah. Yeah, so right. then just Sean, a CD. I put a string, I spun it, and then I shot, I got a flashlight like this and reflected it and held it so that it just went right onto the side of her face. And that we did that last shot. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, you, you, you know, some of these Hollywood places, big, big, big move, they might spend $300,000 on that shot to get the lighting right, you know? Oh, yeah. So, so just takes a little CD light. with string and some proper lighting. There were so many things, even our, um, so we had this. We couldn't afford to have a lot of people on set. So there were a lot of people who ended up doing two jobs. And the person who is usually in charge of the lights is like a, the gaffer. Um, and they set up the lights and they also have different members of their team that kind of do different things. It's usually two or three people. But we had one guy who was a gaffer, but he was also the grip slash second assistant camera. So he was running around all day long. He was helping with the camera department. He was doing all the lights himself. 
And every once in a while, he would just come up to us and he's like, guys, I think I have a, a, an easier way of doing what you want. And he would suggest like a way to do an effect. And it always worked. And it was always really impressive. And it was sometimes just with him lying on the ground with a flashlight doing something or that when she uh, almost electrocutes herself, he's lying right by her feet next to the bathtub and he flashes a light and he has a cigarette in his mouth and he goes and all kinds of smoke comes up with the light flashing and it looks like she nearly electrocutes herself in the bathtub. It looked real and it cost nothing. Smoke wow. and flashlights. So I want to do a couple. First off, we I don't know if you saw that come across the screen, but someone's already saying they want to watch the movie. Oh, do it. Please. See, there you go. <laughs> do it, Dablin Dad. Oh, here, let me show you. There you go. So let's talk a couple theories real quick. I don't want to spoil too much of the movie. Mm -hmm. um, could this be a Jacob's Ladder? Mm. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a. I don't want to say too much, but yeah. I Am I going down the right? It, it's. I wouldn't say it's a Jacob's ladder, um, specifically, because that's that's kind of a death dream, um, and this film isn't really a death dream. But I think in Jacob's ladder, there's a lot of uh, revisiting of past um, experiences, so a lot of like re revisiting of memories. And I think dead dicks can be seen like that. It can be seen like that. Doesn't mean it is like that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, depending on your interpretation, it could be similar. Reminded me of like a, a a horror clockwork orange or Stanley Kubrick type of situation. I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> my second theory is at the end, the mom has talked about subtly i think through the whole movie yeah mm -hmm. uh, and i almost feel like the end is kind of putting everything back on the mother oh because of like the vagina and crawling back and she's going her. back inside and i could see that too i saw it and i was like i i think they blame their mom for everything <laughs> but the thing is that there's a lot of talk about the father as well like the mother has died um but the father seems to be the the in a way trigger of the codependence of the two children right absolutely but the reason i thought the mother was because that never happens unless she dies well of course mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so She's if that would have never happened none of these problems would have ever sprouted up possible it's very interesting or what i, what I saw was a direct uh association with like Richie and his dad and then her and her mother mm -hmm. and those dynamics between um, those relationships, um, mm -hmm. sister, brother, but also they kind of represented their mom and dad in a way. Oh, wow. Well, they both, they both take on those roles. Right. right. Um, well, they sort of relive that pattern. Mm -hmm. yeah. The dad might've been eccentric and he was doing all this, but maybe, you know, behind the scenes, the mom was holding it all together. You know, yeah, like they never really talk about what killed the mother. Right. Maybe she killed him, him being a lazy bum. I don't know. <laughs> so you get this put together. You, you see all these things kind of starting to come together. You find out you can do these effects for no money, but you, you really came across an effects guy as you were trying to build one of the props. And I don't want to get too much into that prop because I don't want to give away too much of this movie. I want some things to surprise people. Yeah. But you had a... A uh, 
a physical prop that was just not working out. You couldn't get it to work and couldn't get it. To, oh, please tell me you have it there. Have I do it. have it, but it we might... just had a flood recently in our basement. So all this stuff is jammed into our, um, I, I can tell the story while you try and find yeah. <laughs> But yeah, we had this, we had this wonderful uh, special effects artist. Her name is Nina Anton. She really like poured her blood, sweat and tears into everything in the movie. Um, and she made this incredible head and she hand punched all the hair holes. Like she just really worked so hard on this thing. And then on the day, it kind of worked. And then when we got in the edit, it just wasn't, it didn't, it didn't sell it. It just, the way we shot it, it was too fast. We didn't plan it very well. Just these things, they don't always work exactly the way you would wish. And it just didn't, we were stuck. And it was a really pivotal scene. And so we were like, we don't have the money for reshoots. What are we going to do? And we're really- He has it in a bag. And then uh, <laughs> you know, he's here with the head. And so then we uh, were just, our kids were playing outside and they played with these two neighbor kids. And then their dad, the neighbor kids was like, oh, are you having some issues? Uh, listen, <laughs> I'm a VFX artist for a major studio. That's right, yeah. So if you want, I can, I'll take two weeks. I'll work on it for free. And he wow. had, he was like, I just finished working on Star Wars. So I have some time. <laughs> oh, just by the way, my resume is Star Wars. <laughs> so it was like, uh, every, like I said, everything about this movie kind of just fell into place. So then this, this gentleman, our neighbor, Glenn Curry, uh, just like came in and saved our butts. Yeah. And so this is for free. <laughs> this is a head cast of Matt keys. And so, um, this on set was like hanging. Don't get to it. Back here. <laughs> Which, by the way, that looks, that resembles him hundred percent. Yeah. Like, it, it very much looks at like him. Of course the eyeballs are pointing in different directions and it's but that's as per the well, you know, yeah. yeah. The she, hair is amazing. I oh wish yeah. you could feel it. Yeah. She did an amazing job. She like punched every single one of these hairs, you know? And so this was hanging off the back and he had a green screen, like a green cap on him. And so the idea was we would just erase the top of his head and then kind of like fill in some blood and guts in this area. Um, but because he's kind of rampaging <laughs> through, he's just what? It doesn't ruin anything. He rampages through and like ma mashes a few things up. Um, it was really flopping around and so we couldn't isolate it enough and so we ended up having to just remove his shoulders and his head like remove this whole part of his body and okay build that in cgi and that's what glenn did and so we ended up we have uh i think on the um canadian blu-ray release there's like a 360 of matt that we had to take so that we could import that into the computer and create like a 3d render of him and then Glenn opened it and did a bunch of stuff and oh yeah he told I mean he was like I'll give you guys I'm on vacation for two weeks I'll do it and then I think he ended up working on it for like a month yeah plus and wow. it's a four second shot yeah it's really quick and he worked so hard on it and I think we ended up delivered like I think it was finished like two days before yeah. the movie well him and uh there's a, a local compositor a guy I found on Facebook Alexandre Clermont, who just volunteered to do the compositing. So like 
Glenn did all of the animation and everything, and then they got to put it in the scene and make sure that it matches colors and shadows and all that stuff. Um, and then some people came up to us and they were like, that practical effect was amazing. We were like, yes. <laughs> I thought it was actually. Um, I thought that, he, you know, the, the movements were very realistic. I don't, I mean, I thought it was a, a great scene and it could have gotten out of hand actually. I, I think you guys reined it in probably just the right amount where you're like, what? It almost moved like that creature off, like, uh, uh, what's the movie with uh, the aliens? But I, I thought it was brilliant. I thought you guys did a great job with it. Signs. Oh, the yeah, yeah, yeah. Cards, yeah. Well, that's the thing is when, well, Signs is a, doesn't have a limited budget, but sometimes when you have a limited budget, it should have. Yeah. You just got to get creative, right? And so that's, I think, some of the, we were just talking about Alien the other day. And I'm like, it's kind of good that Alien was made when it was made. Because you see now like Covenant, and in Covenant, you see so much of the alien. It's walking around, it's doing yeah. stuff. But in the original, it just didn't look good because you needed to have all these different things to move it and people are puppeteering the tail. And so they really limit how much you see the alien and it's more effective, just like Jaws or any movie. Oh, no question. Jaws, yeah. I totally agree with that. I, I totally agree with that. And to be honest with you, the, like when, you know, knowing it was you that came out of the maybe a booty hole or the vagina. You have to it watch this to see it. The wall. Um, but it showed enough where it, you know, it looked like you were like a, you were around an embryonic sack and you, yeah. you just, you know, it, it was crazy. So I thought it was just the right amount. And I also think the scene with Matt um, is the same way. I think it was done tastefully and it was more realistic than like, like Dustin was in the CGI. I, I really do, especially for, I think what you're trying to do, um, I think all the cinematography and stuff was, I liked the colors of the movie. They were somber. He was an artist. You know, we can get into some of the details, but I, I thought it was all done and it all made sense. It wasn't just sporadically done. Well, thank you. You have to be like, that's it. When you have no money, you have to just really think about like what is necessary mm -hmm. and what is just enough. Yeah. <laughs> and if you look at it too long, you'll, it'll, start to unravel and you you could tell so can i ask you you know we, we we had some people on and um you know the people from mbr it was all or or the uh hell houses it was like just needed two more days just two oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what would you have liked the most would it be for more time larger budget i know budget and time go hand in hand but if there was do you think you could have produced a quality movie or do you think you might have mucked it up or what was if you had the opportunity, what would have been your ideal timetable? So well, I think two more days is we, we were at, we were supposed to have 12 days because uh, we wanted to just spend the last two days on all of the effects. We didn't want to have to do them in the middle of shooting the other scenes, but the, we ended up like spattering them throughout the schedule. So they were all over the place. Um, and I think because of that too, because a lot of us, didn't have such experience with effects that effects never work the way you expect. So they always, uh, sure, yeah. um, and so sometimes you're like, Oh, we'll just do it at the end of the day. And then all of a sudden you go like four hours over um, and nobody likes that. And everybody gets irritated when you do stuff like that. And so we were kind of hoping to have those last two days to do that, but we didn't. Um, and now that we're like a year after it's premiered, it's come out on Blu-ray and all that stuff. I feel like, you know what? It turned out the way it turned out. And as much as there's a few little things here, I'd be like, oh, if we could have gotten another take on that, it might be better or stuff like that. But it, no one knows any of that. No one knows what you didn't get except for you. And so like in the end, 
you watch the film. And if you understand the story and it connects well for you and it works for you, then no nothing is really missing. As much as I might want to reshoot five things, you know, like well, it's probably worse from your perspective because you guys know so much. Oh yeah, like mine. I was like, I couldn't tell if it took sixty days or ninety days. I, yeah. I never would have thought ten. Well, we would have been real honest. Yeah, dollars. You might have believed it cost a hundred thousand dollars. You know, like I, I for sure, you, you know, you always. It's like the problem of any movie is you wish you had more time mm -hmm. and you, you wish you had more budget. But yeah, what's funny is we we're talking so much about effects, but one thing I wish we had gotten again is a dialogue scene. Mm. Just simple, something, just two people in a staircase that I'm like, God, I wish we had had another crack at that because yeah. it was like four o'clock in the morning at that point. Yeah. It was our last shot of the day. Everybody was exhausted and the actors did amazing. It's just, it was just frantic. So, and we just didn't have another day and I, I would have loved to have redone that. Yeah. But then later on, I think it was our editor, Chico, he sent us a clip while we were, you know, sad about that of David Lynch um, talking about the, the new Twin Peaks series. Mm -hmm. And it was just behind the scenes and he was really upset at a table and he's just like, what do you mean we only have this location for this amount of time? He's like, there's no time to dream. And it's like, no. David Lynch feels like he does not have enough time. Yeah. Um, so. so it's the, the lament of the director that no matter what budget or who you are, it's always the same. You want two more days. There you go. There you go. That's Hashtag two more days. Yeah. <laughs> so let's we've talked a lot about how the movie was made the budgets and things like that let's get into the actual movie and let's talk about it and what we want to talk about in it is we want to not only talk about the kind of storyline and i want to once again kind of just dust over the storyline because i don't want to give too much because i think this movie really needs to be seen to get the full effect of it if someone just tells you about it you're not going to understand exactly what it's about but I want to talk about the deep personal things that kind of go into it and the stories that kind of come behind it and where that comes out in your writing and all those kind of things. So let's start off with just the the basics of the storyline and and then we'll kind of get into how you did it. Okay. Um, well, the film starts off with our main character, Richie, um, committing suicide. And so originally when we were... Um, discussing the, the movie and the idea, it was a bit more, um, I don't want to say goofy, but it was a, a lot more, I guess, of a comedy um, in the original concept. But then the more we talked about it and we decided in, it was originally going to be two friends, like roommates and dealing with this issue. But we kept coming back to like, why is the guy still there? Why would he not leave and abandon this friend in this crazy situation? I'm like, what, even if you're a husband and wife, you know, like what is the tie that binds that you can never really escape from? And I thought the tie of blood, you know? And so the brother and sister became very important to us because it's like so much happens in your life, but you know, like your siblings are always there. You know, there's no escaping them sometimes. So sorry, the, the movie, just extremely broad strokes, is about uh, a, a young, like a brother and sister where mm. the brother um, has some pretty significant mental health issues um, and his younger sister is kind of in a caregiving role. Mm. 
And the day she wants to tell him that she's been accepted to school, she's gonna go away to another part of the country to go to university, um, she gets all these panicked phone calls. And when she gets to his place, he's uh, unfortunately committed suicide. Except the movie is about a man who cannot die. Mm -hmm. So, well, he can die, he can commit suicide, and then he is immediately reborn yeah. through this bizarre orifice in his wall. Mm -hmm. And so the movie is really like, how, what do these two people do with that information mm -hmm. um, over the course of kind of like a crazy night? Yeah, but I think originally, yeah, I don't think it was meant to be, I don't wanna say serious, because the film still has a lot of humor, but after we started talking about it, you know, I had mentioned this before, there was just a lot of stuff happening in our lives and it seemed like the issue of mental health and, you know, like suicide and stuff like that was really kind of part of our daily conversation, let's say. And so it was impossible for us to not be thinking of about, about it in a serious way, but also not to be kind of like, trying to joke about it because it was really heavy while it was we were kind of living it in a sense um and so this movie ended up being very therapeutic for us or the script the original script ended up being very therapeutic and i think um lee often says this where it's like she doesn't know how to deal with a lot of certain things in life without kind of making a joke about it and that's really what dead dicks is it's us dealing with something by kind of trying to laugh about it because it is difficult um it's definitely like a preferred coping mechanism of mine to make a joke out of it and like well, you I, know, it, it still elicits a a feeling an emotion uh, really an emotional response which sometimes laughing and crying or there's a fine line between what you're doing you know laughing so hard you cry or you know crying so hard you laugh and it's those kind of both go the same way so yeah. i think that's a very natural response and sometimes you know, we get so frustrated or whatever case may be. And sometimes we can't do anything but laugh. Like, oh, shit, are you, you know, are you kidding me? Can it be yeah. any worse? I mm -hmm. think that was sort of when we started to develop the idea more that we were like, you know, it started as kind of a, like a joke, like a one line thing. What happened if what happens if a guy died and then get got pooped out of a wall and mm -hmm. came back? And so we were like, haha, that's that's kind of funny. But then we started to think, well, it was not his intention mm -hmm. to come back. So what now? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. how would you naturally feel? And then if it happens, where's the purpose once you're back, right? What is your purpose? Yeah. yeah, and and we also wanted to show the the support in his life, like, and and the reality of how sometimes as the support for someone who is suffering, um, you get caught up in what they're experiencing, and, and in our film, it's like she kind of gets caught up in something that can be seen as a delusion but we treat it as reality. So it's like, um, you know, it's like uh, an analogy of in real life when someone's kind of, you know, spiraling a bit and in order to kind of support them, you have to listen to what is going on in their head. And some of that stuff ends up being pretty out there sometimes. And it could influence the way you start to see things too, because you, might love this person and want to support them and so like you try you convince yourself to possibly believe it and so that's what happens with becca she gets caught up in what's going on and she doesn't 
run away. She doesn't try and convince him that it's not happening because it's right there in front of her. She has no choice but to become a part of it. And by the way, Richie, which which Richie and Becca, both uh, Jillian and Hest, uh, Heston, I don't know who found these people. I know Heston, you said, was a comedian. Yeah. But talk about, and even Matt, um, they all play great roles. Like you said, it's it's mostly a lot of acting done, uh, you know, between the sister and brother, Richie and, and Becca. But talk about them individually and then collectively and um, how you found them and maybe some of their background. Sure. Well, uh, Matt is probably the first person that was cast in the film. Um, I've known Matt for quite a few years. He was in a short film that I had uh, wrote, written and produced, um, I think in 2015, called Never Tear Us Apart. That was a proof of concept for a feature that I'd co-written with my friend Sid that he was going to direct. Um, and Matt and I have just hung out a lot ever since that. And we've always talked about ideas. And with the original concept for Dead Dicks, it was going to be a short film. And so I just asked Matt to be Richie. But then I, after, I guess, this Toronto trip, I was like, Lee, we got to turn that into a feature kind of thing. We can't do a short film anymore. We got to do a feature. And so we asked Matt, we said, like, in the feature, this is what we think the story is going to be. And Matt, we were like, do you want to be Richie? And he was like, no, I want to be the neighbor. And so originally the neighbor was just called the neighbor. And so we were just like, okay, well, the neighbor is now Matt. That's in place. And just talking to Matt and knowing him, I'm like, I know exactly how to write the neighbor. And Matt is very often cast in like other projects. He's a working actor. He works a lot. Um, he is always the nice guy, uh, the sweet dad, or like the guy in the bank commercial that mm -hmm. like, you know, <laughs> so he was like very keen to play like an asshole. Yeah. He really wanted to do it. And he always had ideas. So we kept pushing what Matt would do and how Matt would react to things. Um, and so that, he influenced the character as much as the character influenced him in a sense. Um, but he was the first person to kind of come aboard. He uh, also produced it with us. Yeah, and he produced the film. I thought he was like a nerdy asshole, though. That's what's so good about it. It was like, yeah, he was he's doing push ups and he's counting with his headband and yeah, like, he's oh, got yeah, a shirt tucked in, his hair's perfect. Who's trying to better himself. You know? I always thought <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he's a nerd. What a loser. I had so many like mid level managers that are like this guy, mm -hmm. you know, that are just like, make maybe like two bucks more an hour than you do, but they're like, I'm gonna tell you what life is about, okay? Cause I got it figured out. Yeah. And like, <laughs> they live in just as shitty an apartment as you do and yeah. whatever, but like, they're like on a self-improvement kick, you know? Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's sort of how I, I saw him, yeah. but I, I think Matt brought so much mm -hmm. more to it. And actually physically he reminds me of the guy that, that played in like a, Walking Dead and um, yeah, yep. he totally looks like him. He, 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 uh, yeah, he doesn't have quite the, the messed up he's nose. Punisher but. from here down, and then he's like Aaron. Er no, that's yeah, right. Punisher from here up, and Aaron Eckhart from here down. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so that's Matt um, Heston. Uh, maybe you should speak more about it. But Heston was originally actually attached to the project that fell through, The Outsider. Mm -hmm. Um, and Chris had met Heston uh, at a film festival in Chattanooga um, with a project that he was in because he he's not a, a stand-up comic. He was just um, he's a an actor, but he does primarily comedic roles. Okay, uh, part of a comedy he's part troupe, of a like troupe, a sketch troupe, a sketch comedy troupe called Jim Carrey-ish, right? Yeah, like called uh, Almost mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. 
uh, and oh, they have cool. and they have a lot of um, they did some stuff for Funny or Die, and and he's currently um, in the Groundlings, which is an improv group in Los Angeles. So Chris met him when he was touring with a, a movie he was in called Rock Steady Row. Mm -hmm. Um, which one slam dance? Yep. Um, it's Trevor Stevens is the director, correct? Yeah. So Chris was at Chattanooga. Yeah, and I hung out with um, Heston for just a couple nights, um, but we kind of joked around a lot. And I'm I never shut up about movies, so I'm always just like <laughs> talking about movies and you know like. Um, and so Heston was like, "Oh, tell me more about this." And I was talking about that movie and this movie and this movie. He's like, "Oh, I've never seen that. I got to write that down." And so after the festival, I just connected with him on Facebook and we chatted a bit. And then when we wrote The Outsider, I said, look, I think this character in The Outsider, would Heston would be great for it. Um, and so I sent him that script and he was like, I love it. I'll put my name on, on board. I'm like, when you guys get the money, I'm totally into it. And we were like, that's great, that's great. And then of course, when that fell apart and we were talking about dead dicks, I was like, let's just write Richie for Heston and as soon as it's done, we'll send it to him and we'll see what he says. And I had not yet met him. She had never met him. And then I just showed her like a video of him pretending to be like Mark Zuckerberg or something. Oh my gosh. Funny. Yeah. His comedy, <laughs> the, the, the comedy group does these funny things called drunken inebriated, uh, inebriated theater. theater where they get really drunk and then it's like five actors and then they recreate a scene from a movie, but oh, while drunk. And they did the scene from the social network where the guy who's been cut out of the deal kind of comes to confront Zuckerberg at the office. Mm. And he's like, did you devalue the shares? Like, what are my shares? Oh, yeah, he doesn't play Zuckerberg. He plays, he the, plays other the other guy. He plays the other guy. And everybody's so funny in it. But Heston is, I think he's had like 11 vodkas or something. <laughs> he, is, he totally commits. Yeah. He <laughs> very, very relatable with this show being done. He only breaks when he grows up. Yeah. And he still tries to do his line through the throwing up. So uh, so we were like, that's the guy. Yeah. So we were like, let's just write it for him and send him the script and see what he says. And so we did that. And he responded almost immediately and said, I will do whatever it takes to play Richie. And so we were like, well, it might take <laughs> flying yourself to Montreal and living in our basement for two weeks because uh, we got no money. And he was like, yes. And somehow we had to get him a visa. And so we had to like, this was because we had a, a very tight deadline for how we wanted to make this movie. We wrote the script in November. We raised the money in December. We started uh, looking for a crew in January. And by February, uh, we were in pre-production and we shot on March 4th. Um, and so Heston came on board in December, January, because we didn't want to approach him until we had money to do it. Um, and then in January, because it was starting to get closer to our March deadline, we actually had to get him a visa, and that took six weeks. And we had did not have a mo money for an immigration for lawyer, lawyer so, so we had to like navigate the Canadian immigration system ourselves. <laughs> and so we got a visa for him pretty much three days before he had to fly to Montreal. And so I think he was a little sketched out. His manager was definitely sketched out, um, but it all worked out. He got here. The, the day we had to pick him up from the airport, we were super stressed because we got to the airport 
and he was nowhere in sight and we waited and we waited and he wasn't responding to our texts and we knew that he may be rejected at the border like it's up to the customs agent on whether or not they will stamp the visa they could still say no if you have all the paperwork they could still reject it and so we were totally freaked out but he ended up i don't know being delayed by an hour or something like that and so he came walking out like nothing had happened and we had just been pacing in the it, airport yeah. for like an hour and a half it was a very triumphant day mm -hmm. and then uh but before that we had been working with him a lot after he had agreed to be in it uh via skype mm -hmm. so it's funny because this whole zoom thing as we're all getting used to it now is, is we had, did it so much with heston in preparation for the role because even though he is a, a comedic actor, he he really took it seriously. Mm -hmm. He did tons of research. He already had an acting coach. He was working with the acting coach. We were really building the character together. Uh, together. And he was so thoughtful. And, you know, he does this, he explained to us this kind of sort of acting technique that he does where he'll think of, uh, he's like, oh, if, is there an animal that you can imagine this character would be. Um, and he's like, well, he goes, when I did Rocksteady Row, I sort of, I imagined a stray dog and that was sort of informed kind of the physicality. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we watched, he had already seen it, but when I watched Rocksteady Row for like half a second in one scene, I was like, I just saw the dog. I saw it, I saw the stray dog. And mm -hmm. so in Dead Dicks, we uh, sort of had the idea of a spider and that, you know, cause I was like, well, people are sort of repelled by spiders, most mm -hmm. of us. They're kind of creepy. They live in dark places and they live in their art mm -hmm. that they make. And Richie is like surrounded by his art. He's a collage artist. He's like a visual artist. And so Heston took that and it's super subtle. It's just um, his fingers, his are, fingers always are always twitching. And it's also a side effect of um, often lithium. Mm -hmm for some people will create this kind of like uh, tingling in the in the fingers. Mm -hmm. And so it's super subtle, but just stuff like that. He really built this character. Mm -hmm. um, so it was great. Then Jillian, who plays Becca, is a local actress from Montreal, but we did not, she we was the last her. person yeah. to come on board. We were like auditioning people, we couldn't find her. And she came in, I think, three weeks before we went to Canada. Yeah. We only, found her because we were trying to audition a different girl or woman and um her agent was like hey i have a bunch of women i'd love to send over if you want we were like send us everybody you got and then jill was one of those um that the agent had sent over and when she did a self-tape of the final monologue when she's smoking a cigarette on the couch and out of all of the women that submitted a tape for becca jill was the only one that kind of understood that moment for what it was of a moment of defeat where a lot of the other yeah. women performed it as angry and becca was sad and defeat uh jill was sad and defeated and she pretty much did that monologue exactly how she did it in the movie and right away we were just like there's something about her and we need to meet her and then we met her and she did another scene and we were so excited that i think we were extremely overwhelming to her because we were just like we started talking to her about all kinds of stuff <laughs> her schedule and like what was happening with the movie and all this stuff and matt was there too um and after she left matt was like i've never seen an audition like that i think you guys need to calm down he's like that was 
very unorthodox. Yeah. And so afterwards, when we were really nervous that Jill would say no because we freaked her out, but then she said yes. And when we talked to her, she was just like, oh, no, I thought you guys were just really excited about the project. And we were like, oh, good. But she's a really interesting person. She uh, is does a lot of theater. Uh -huh. um, she's she, a puppeteer. She's a puppeteer. So oh. she runs a theater company here, and they do, like, kind of really bananas, like, experimental plays and stuff. Mm -hmm. So she was really game, like, really yeah. up for it. And she was thrown in, like yeah. a lot of people already knew each other and she was kind of the outsider that came in. But then she and Heston really hit it off. They met like two days before. Mm -hmm. We had almost no rehearsal at all. We had one table read and one day of rehearsal. Yeah. And they went off on their own uh, and created this whole backstory together of the siblings that they never shared with us. That was just this thing that they had between the two of them of all of these moments in their lives that are not in the movie, but that made kind of cemented a bond. Mm -hmm. So it was great. Like they were just unbelievable. And mm -hmm. it's a total cliche. You read it all the time. We read a lot of books about like how to direct actors before we did it. And the number always changes when they say the quote, but they're like something like 90% of directing is casting. And we felt like we got people who really cared about the characters. They loved their characters and they just, you basically just had to get out of the way. Yeah. So I understand now why you had to do, you know, most of the hand shooting because Jillian puppeteering was just so hard on her hands, you know, <laughs> she just, she just couldn't do the hand scenes. <laughs> and also with, with Heston, when we got to the apartment and we were setting it up, um, our production designer is this guy, Mark Pragai, who is a friend of mine that I had met years ago. And we'd worked on many films together. I helped him on a film he directed. He helped me on films I direct. Um, and he pretty much set up the entire apartment. Um, and I told, or we told Heston on the day before we started shooting, we were, I forget what we were doing. We were doing something. And I said, Heston, go to the apartment and just touch everything. As Richie, touch everything, move things so that this is the place you would live in. This is the place you spend all your time in. So make it yours. Don't, as much as Mark did an amazing job, just make it yours because you're going to be the one moving around and manipulating things throughout the film. So Heston ended up spending the afternoon there. And when we showed up, he had made this entire mural wall out of like pages and painted on it and did all kinds of stuff. And it, the, the apartment became his. It became an extension of his character. And so I felt like there was a lot of stuff that we just became very lucky because, you know, like Becca brought so much to the role. Heston brought so much to the role. And Matt brought so much to the role. But they all also brought a lot to the set and to the environment. And um, we were very lucky. I think, like, yes, the casting thing was an extremely important aspect to this and we just lucked out with those three so so let me ask i don't know if it was planned but i think uh, uh um on top of the unconditional bond that i think they that they share on, on set or in the movie i think they had a good bond on on camera as well but i actually thought they even had a physical resemblance like yes. the close-ups of becca and mm -hmm. i was like their eyes on like no i was like did they plan that? I don't know. Did you plan that, or was that just a great uh, happenstance? Uh, no Heston's own mother said that Jill looked 
like Heston. Like yeah. she found that they looked alike. I yeah. thought Jillian actually looks more like Heston than Heston's actual sister. sister. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. I, I actually was like, are they related? And I looked them up, of course, you know, they're not, but yeah, yeah that was a really cool coincidence. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, they ended up kind of being similar, I guess. Yeah. Um, and we ended up using pictures of Jill and her brother to in the film. Her real brother. Her real brother. So, and the the pictures of Jill as a little girl. Her brother's actually younger than her, and so we had pictures of them on Halloween and a bunch of things that were just kind of throughout the set. Um, and then we put an older Heston's head on one picture of her <laughs> kind of thing, and it's just like this weird Photoshop version of Heston <laughs> next to Jill. Um, but yeah. Well, it. You know, it's funny that you say about they went back and and they did a uh, backstory with each other that they didn't tell. <clears throat> when we interviewed the people from the honeymoon phase, the two actors said that they actually, because they met real close to shoot time and all that kind of stuff, they actually held hands with each other to get a physical connection with each other so that they would feel like honeymooners. And they said that they spent a lot of time in very close quarters together, like on the couch together in between shoots and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's pretty amazing to see how you can get like in that movie, two days or one day before you start shooting. And then in your day, in your movie, you get two days before you start shooting and people build this bond so fast with each other and, and really carried over because they did act very much like brother and sister in that. And that they did have a backstory in that. Uh, when, when you talk to them about this movie, did you talk to them about really focusing on, uh, like a mental health or is there anything that you kind of set up for them to kind of go into this character? Like, you know, not necessarily a backstory or anything, but Hey, this is what we're going for with this. Uh, yeah, certainly with Heston in the, because we had a couple months of, maybe just one month of, yeah. of, of meetings via the Skype beforehand. Uh, we talked a lot about um, a big influence for us, which uh, is the singer Daniel Johnston, who um, is, he, well, he was from, I think, West Virginia, but his career was in Austin, Texas. Um, and he died just last year. Or was it this year? This, no, no, it was last, last year. Um, I don't know. There's a great documentary about him called The Devil and Daniel Johnston um, that you can check out. I'm sure it's still available. Mm -hmm. um, and he was a prolific uh, songwriter that many, many artists have covered, like Sonic Youth, Beck, Tom Waits. Um, but he uh, also suffered from severe bipolar disorder and I, I believe also schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Um, and never really, like, his own life didn't reach the heights that his music did. Um, and this documentary uh, I saw many, many years ago, and I immediately bought every piece of his music that I could find afterwards. And Chris, when I met him, also happened to be really into Daniel Johnston. We were very fortunate we were able to see him perform uh, in Montreal before uh, a few years ago, before he died. Um, so when we talked about the character uh, with Heston, we we mentioned um, this this film and this um, this guy Daniel Johnston, who was also uh, um, he did a lot of visual art as well. So Heston watched that a lot, listened to a lot of his music. 
Um, and we also watched the movie Crumb, which is a documentary about our crumb. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. It's a Terry Zwigoff. Uh, oh, the comic book artist? Comic yeah. book artist. And uh, that, I think, the relationship between Robert Crumb and his two brothers who uh, suffer from some pretty significant mental health issues is like a really kind of unflinching but also sensitive portrait, I think, of families dealing with mental illness. Mm -hmm. um, it's also about a comic book artist, but it's like, I think, one of the great documentaries. So we've talked a lot about those kinds of things with mm -hmm. him. And because I think mental illness touches so many of us or our loved ones, he also had some personal experience with some close family members that he was able to, to draw upon. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of, um, for us, a lot of the directing uh, came in trying to prepare the, the actors before they even arrived on set. So with discussing stuff, sending them um, films to watch, um, having a lot of conversations um, in order to try and get them as close to becoming the characters we created as they could so that they would arrive on set and they were Richie and they were Becca. And because they created a backstory too, all of a sudden they had characters that were independent of one another and then characters that were kind of like dependent on one another. Um, and I think on set, all we really have to do is try to keep them in line with the characters they've already developed. And sometimes, um, you know, Jill was like, I don't understand why she would do this. And we'd have to be like, we'd have to try and find a reason for that character that would work for Jill to understand it so that Jill could believe it when she was trying to perform it. And so I read this thing years ago where it's like, for actors, all you have to do is really go out there and tell the truth. So it's like, what it really means is like, you have to believe you are that person in that moment saying that line or performing that action. And so for us, it was really preparing them to be that and to do that. And then if at certain points they felt like they were losing it a bit, we helped to try and keep them online and in the right direction. And it's challenging, of course, because you're trying to get inside another person's head to plant the seeds that allow them to grow into this person. Um, but I think with Heston, I think he was so prepared. Even though Jill came in late, she was 100% prepared as this, as this character. And with Matt, Matt, it was like Matt showed up and just was having fun every day. You know, like just in, in, in the middle of shooting something, he'd be like, I have an idea. And so we'd have to like try and see if we could pull off this idea that Matt had. And he had hundreds of ideas. And it was great too, because although we know Matt very, very well, he wasn't on set very many days. So Heston and Jillian had already kind of formed this bond. And then the few times that Matt would come in, it was like this totally different energy. Mm -hmm. And it was a bit weird. And it was <laughs> great for the movie because yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the way they react to him is kind of a bit how they felt in real life. So it yeah. was like, we just sort of used that. And Absolutely. And I did look up the Daniel Johnson, like you said, and he, he on 9-11, uh, he, he'd been passed away for a year. So oh, okay. he okay. passed away at 9-11 of, of 19 in Waller, Texas, actually, that, you know, my mom and dad live about mm -hmm. 50, 60 miles from there. So 
Um, yeah, very interesting story. Um, really cool. So I'll have to listen to his music and yeah, yeah. out there go check him out. It looks really. He's got a really cool story. That started yeah. selling CDs of himself at McDonald's. You know where he Oh yeah, oh yeah. He to me his music is great, but his voice is maybe not professional mm -hmm. let's say not for everybody <laughs> well that's texas music you know yeah. it, it's your, it's the songwriter it's it's the uh -huh. singer behind the song yeah. um you don't have to have a you know some acapella opera voice if you have that's a song right. in a in feeling and heart um I, I think that floats in our area no doubt the yeah. film from the u.s premiere of the film was in austin texas at the other world's uh film festival which was a total like it was a full circle moment for us because that was like where Daniel Johnston first started really writing songs and came to be known and to have the movie play there was like very meaningful to us and we actually like drove around and uh, this really nice like Lyft driver she took us to the murals Daniel they have these Daniel Johnston murals in, in the Austin, town and in Austin and we got to see them and it was really cool. Yeah, I'm in Austin a lot for work and um Austin's uh um you know they they say keep Austin weird. It's it definitely grounds Texas and um <laughs> it doesn't allow it to be <laughs> to yeah. get too lost in one side, but I really love the area. It's beautiful um visually and it's it's really cool. You have amazing food, barbecue, people, art, South by Southwest, movies, music. It's kind of the go-to place in Texas, to be honest with you. Oh my um, God. It's located in Central, yeah. So much barbecue with Alok from 1BR that he was like, we have to go to this place. And then all the people from Austin got mad at us. But it was like Franklin's, I think. Franklin's, yes. It's <laughs> always wrapped around. I'm telling you, all they put salt and pepper on that puppy. And uh, <laughs> that brisket. And um, sorry, Texas is coming out. And um, they let it go low and slow. And uh, people are literally there at 10 a.m. There's a line. We were there, we were there us, 4 o'clock yeah. in the morning. He woke us up. He was like, this is the plan. 4 o'clock in the morning. He's like, yeah. I have chairs. We're <laughs> going to Franklin's. And so then we just waited in line and, like, drank in the morning, like, day drunk and ate. He probably and drank some, like, Lone Star beer or, like, Perlite or something like that. <laughs> yeah, station down the road. And, yeah. Well, good for you guys. I actually haven't eaten there, and I've I've tried many, many times. But it's um, it's it's a cool place. Yeah, that's one of the staples of Austin now. So, mm -hmm. shout out to uh, Franklin's Barbecue. <laughs> Street tacos too. That's a big thing. So, oh, huge! They're huge here. We ate very well in Austin. Well, we have in, in Dallas, uh, we have a gas station and it's called uh, Fuel City. There's like two or three of them in the area. <clears throat> we have we have two big gas stations here. We have a Bucky's, which has about four or five locations. And when I say they have, what do you think, Jeff? 180 gas pumps out in front? Yeah, Bucky's has grown. So Bucky's probably, started. Probably, Bucky's yeah. probably has 20 locations in Texas, but they're very limited i mean you were driving all over texas that's not very many and, and they're literally like a football field or too long yeah yeah they're 110 and, gas pumps and, and you can shop get custom food <laughs> there's everything it's it's kind of a cool, beef jerky cool you can buy yeah. furniture for your house there it's it's great my my kids this is no kidding when covid first hit and you could kind of go out still that was what they picked was to drive to a bucky's and pick out like candy and stuff mm -hmm. um to to watch a movie but I digress going back. So we have another place <laughs> called fuel city that has a, a little less locations, but it's huge. It has a pool 
where they have bikini girls that swim in the pool during the summer to bring people in to pump gas. Really? I didn't and know. Yeah. That it's that. the one downtown. So okay. there's a huge car wash. They have a long, they have an actual fence of longhorn cattle that you can go look at the longhorns and all this kind of stuff. They have the best street tacos I've ever had in my life. Anywhere you know, I've okay. ever been. The corn as well. Is, is, the elotes the yeah. out in front. So they make this corn cup that has corn and uh, this fresca cheese and hot sauce and sour cream, uh, and butter and butter. Sour cream and butter and salt and pepper. And it's amazing. You can get these small cups. You can get big cups. You can get every kind of street taco that you can think of. They do barbacoa, everything. And it's at a gas station and people go bananas 24 hours a day. It's all cash only. And 24 hours a day, there's a line around this place at three o'clock in the morning. They have people trying to buy street tacos. It's we have to check that out. Yeah. Into it. Yeah. There used to be yeah, a it, in Montreal where you could get, yeah, three o'clock noodles after you'd hit the bar. Oh, I never ate those. They looked like food poisoning. Yeah. <laughs> three o'clock noodles. You're going to have to explain that. At three o'clock in the morning, this the, guy the would just- The bars close at 3 a.m. here. And so this one very, like, enterprising gentleman would have, like, just- It was, like, a window in a wall yeah. to the street <laughs> on, like, one of the main strips. And he'd just, like, serve these- Noodles, noodles of questionable oh, origin so to the drunk people coming up. I I never was enough drunk enough to partake. No, I, I did it. <laughs> well, Jeff, I haven't told you. I've been buying recently uh, wrap snacks. I showed you those chips that are by wrappers. Yeah. They have ramen noodles now. Well, I heard you you also uh, have a uh, preference toward a certain box noodle or, or noodle that I hear you make it work all the time and you swear by them. Uh Hmm. I'm not sure I remember the name, but may, maybe my wife will put it up there. But I think it's the wrap snacks. Is that what she, it maybe Yeah, is? it's wrap She's snacks like, noodles. So it's like wrappers. So you have time. like Master P chicken creole ramen noodles, or that's must be what it is. I think that's or little boozy hot and spicy Louisiana <laughs> chicken noodles. I think that's what it is. <laughs> it, I know it sounds completely awful, but it's amazing when you eat them. Sounds good. You take, <laughs> you take the fake craft cheese. And put it on top I of it and the melt the craft cheese on top yeah. of it. I'm telling you. Hey, my it, son, like honestly, he's 17 and still this day, he, he's like, Dad, make sure you get ramen noodles at the grocery store. Oh, yeah. My kids sure. destroy ramen noodles. <laughs> and I think they're probably the worst food for you ever invented. Just a little bit of sodium. Yeah. Now, do you guys in Canada, we're we're gonna talk to you a little bit about food in Canada. Do you guys have takis up there? Yes. Uh, yeah, we just, in, well, the, the funny thing is we live in a part of Canada where, uh, it's mostly French speaking. Mm. Um, and so we get products very late here because for years companies are like, Ugh, we don't have to translate everything and put French on the package. So we, in Quebec, which is the province we live in, we very, we get American things much later than the rest of Canada. So when like tackies came here, probably two or three years. Yeah. Ago. And it was like, it was all over the subway. Like there's this new thing coming. Like it's called. Have you tried them? Yeah, we just had some at a barbecue. Well, a COVID like uh, socially distant backyard backyard thing with one. It's okay. Time. You you went to a barbecue. It's okay. No one's gonna hate you on this <laughs> show. For that. Know, since we're we're going down this route before we get back on topic, but what's the best poutine in Montreal? 
Oh, they're, they're everywhere. That is so hard to Is say. it just like tacos? Is it the here? Costco poutine? No. No. no that is <laughs> What it is is just like. Well, a, hold on. Listen, you jumped yeah. on that answer real <laughs> quick. Costco poutine. Really? Tried to claim poutine across across Canada as like the national dish, and it's pure garbage. You have to get it from like a little joint that just makes French fries and hot dogs, and then they make poutine as well. And it, I'm sorry to say this, rest of Canada, but like any poutine outside of Quebec is trash. Pure oh, wow. This is hot this show tonight. To diss the steak. I like that. I like the brave, yeah. You do puts in sometimes with mozzarella cheese, and that, that's not a puts in. That's just French fries. It's, cheese. it's not traditional. How can you do that? You know what? I'm going to say it for you. Fuck the rest of Canada. There you yeah. go. <laughs> Fuck those guys. And there. Yeah. So, so let's, for people that don't know what it is, you've got to describe what it is because it's a very, uh, it looks to, I've never, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never had it, but I've seen a lot of videos about it, like on YouTube and stuff. And it mm. looks amazing. It's delicious. It's amazing. It's, we had one yesterday. It was amazing. Yeah, we did. It's French fries. <laughs> uh, and then these things called cheese curds, mm. which are, I think it's like, you know, like curds and whey. It's like in a certain part. We of, have them here. We get them from Wisconsin though. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that, so cheese yeah, yeah. And then, uh, like a rich brown gravy on the top. Oh, and when man. you bite into it, ideally, I feel like the curds should be a little bit cold, and they squeak. Squeak. They like, got a squeaker. Yeah. They're no good. And yeah. the name puts in. You'll hear poutine, but in French, it means like I said it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. It, it means a mess. Yeah. <laughs> and it is a mound of fries. Cheese curds. And you know what they're doing here now in Texas? You know, we we fry everything. It's like, okay, let's deep fry that bad boy. So cheese curds, fried cheese curds like at Buffalo Wild Wings, that's a big thing. Oh, I would eat I would that eat every day. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's, let's, let's take it. Hey, Jeff, let's take it a little further. So from where we're at, they have the State Fair of Texas here every oh, year. Oh, Except for yeah. this year. They've canceled it for this year because of COVID. But they have a section of the State Fair that is – they get everybody that fries food in the state of Texas and they say, bring your best fried food recipe. And then they judge them all before the state fair. And like the bet, what is it like the best eight get a slot? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and, like and the, it's the best eight or 10 and it's unreal. The stuff they do, they'll do like a uh, deep fried Twinkies, uh, yeah. deep fried Coke, deep fried ice cream, oh. deep fried pickles. Yeah. Deep fried pickles, I'm on board. And it's all the all over the you know it's sweet and savory. They, I mean they're they're deep frying stuff that you're like, but okay, that sounds delicious. Yeah, yeah we we have that we have a corn dog that they do at the state fair every year. Which what is it? Nathan's. Nathan's and yeah, Nathan's and uh, no. corn dog. Fletcher's corn dog. So since they're not having the state fair, this corn dog company has got with a fried chicken place here in Texas and said. All during the month that the state fair is supposed to be there, we're going to sell our corn dogs in your restaurant because we can't sell it at the state fair. That's how big, like people go, yeah, unreal crazy yeah. over these corn dogs. Yeah, they're the original. You know, it's the deep fried. It's like almost like a funnel cake top batter, mm -hmm. uh, sweet. No, but yeah, you know what? That's bummed out. And next year we're going to yeah. do a show, a live show from the state fair. By the way, um, oh, that, that would be fun and that, do a little. That place is horrible. <laughs> it's literally Mogadishu. Uh, so I've gone on a, a Texas OU weekend. Actually, I, I went to the football game. 
Texas and OU, you know, football programs, they actually play at the state fair every year. And I made the mistake of going to that game. The game, great. But everything around that game before and after um, will make you want to hit a person. There's no doubt. That's what I'm. That's what I mean by Mogadishu. Like it's like people selling trinkets everywhere and people grabbing you and touching you and trying to yeah, pull you in. About they sell cars away, out really there and hot tubs and it's awful. It's, oh, they it's do the have. Worst hey, me and Andrea ever. almost bought a freaking eight thousand dollar reclining masseuse chair. They yeah. sell all the crazy stuff there. Yeah, yeah. They're like, you know what? We'll cut a thousand off since you're buying it at the state fair. Yeah. What the fuck are you buying a recliner at the state <laughs> fair for? <laughs> Fair. It, it, is, it is. It is a sight to see. It's it's very unique. You buy it there. You got to. You you're obviously driving a large truck. Oh, I guess everything's well, big in Texas. So that is, that is true. A lot of people have it, but um, yeah. So uh, so you say it, Putin? <laughs> well, no, not like the Russian guy. No, this is funny. It's pronounced Putin, but in <laughs> Vladimir Putin. In Quebec, on the news, they changed the spelling of his name. Instead of P-U-T-I-N, Putin, they changed it to the spelling of Poutine. P-U-T-I-N in French is a swear word that means whore. <laughs> they that on the news. Yeah. So, oh, what you're saying is you definitely that. don't want to order yeah. a Putin you don't yeah. in say Canada. A yeah. You want to say a Putin, and so it's Poutine. still funny that he I still think I'm going to fuck it up. Yeah. Just like poo, poo. Okay. Tin. But tin, like a tsetse fly, that sound. Poutine. Tin. No. no. See, <laughs> and all I hear is Putin. Like tinfoil. Poutine. <laughs> but yeah, Vladimir Putin is his name here. He's He's a whore. Oh. So did you did you ever watch Friends? Because I feel like you're trying to teach me how to speak French, like Phoebe tried to teach Joey. And yeah, I I, I can't do it now. Do you guys speak French? Yes. Yeah. But the, give us something. Give give us dads that drink is awesome. because our French. <laughs> She's, she's like, it doesn't exist because you guys talk really bad. <laughs> uh, the French that we speak in Quebec is seen by other French speakers around the world as like, um, maybe like not as refined, let's say. Well, it's like English, it's like English <laughs> in England versus English in North America. Okay, it's yeah, you're saying you're wrong in England. Yeah. 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 So yeah. The, the French here is very different. Like we understand the French in France perfectly, but they need to put subtitles on our French because they don't understand. Uh, it's like. So you guys are like France's Arkansas. Exactly. So you're kind of like Southern Louisiana. Yeah. Well, that's the whole trajectory of yeah. most of the people down there came from up here. From like right. the Acadians, right? Yeah, the Cajuns yeah. are from Acadia. I'm telling you, when you get on I-49 that goes straight down from Shreveport down to where you're going to uh, New Orleans, Oof. when you get to Alexandria, which is almost in the middle state, you're in Kunas country. <laughs> it is tough goings down there. And I think Kunas, like backwoods, Cajun, not, not mess around. Very loyal. But if you're an outsider, you better be careful. I'm just saying. <laughs> Very so, interesting down there. So I want to talk a little bit about when we talked the other night, you, you told us your age and I'm not going to say what it is, 
it's it's very close to my age. And I'm talking about Chris. I would never talk about you like that. I'm talking strictly about Chris. I'm not. Huh? She's young compared to me. Okay. I'm, okay. I'm the older man. I'm 37. It's I'm fine. 42. <laughs> okay. So. Oh, I can definitely right. tell the difference. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so you said you grew up, you were like an 80s guy. And and you grew up on like B movies and trash. This is some of my favorite movies, if you'll ask my co-host. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I wanted to talk a little bit about those and what kind of your influences were because you and I, when we talked on the sound check, we talked about James Gunn starting with the yeah. Toxic Avenger, and now he's like the biggest guy in Hollywood. They want him for Suicide Squad, they want him for Guardians of the Galaxy, they want him all over the place. Uh-huh. And and he not only gets those movies. But he tells them, hey, I'm bringing this person, this person, this person, this person, and they're all going to be in the cast, and they're all going to do this, and everyone listens to him. So when you get that big, which we know you will, right? what are some of your influences that you're going to talk about? Oh, well, when I was younger, yeah, the trauma films, Toxic Avenger is still in one of my top 10 favorite movies. I She had never seen it. We just watched it about a month ago. Um, Have you watched the cartoon? I, I had yes. seen the cartoon, weirdly, but not the film. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I actually didn't want to show it to her for the longest time. And I finally admitted to her about a month ago. I was like, I was like scared that she would think less of me because. <laughs> well, let's put this in context. You guys have been together 14 years, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Almost 14 now. Yeah. Um, and, and you thought that she would think less of you if you told her you like the Toxic Avenger. Let me repeat that. Look, I'll say she, I, I knew she was going to think less of me because <laughs> wow. Like I'll prepare you. Like it is very trashy. There's tons of nudity in it. Like it's very misogynist. It's very you know like over the top. Um, I enjoyed it. But then when we watched it, I was like, oh, you know what? Like she's not like a fool in the sense that she's like she knows it's a 30 year old movie it's a very different time and she's seen a lot of movies like it so we, we watched it and she quite enjoyed it and for me every time i watch it i find it funnier and funnier and funnier like it's just it's got so much going on people dancing in the background and it's such um, a film that you can tell everybody was just having fun while they were making it as much as lloyd kaufman might be a tyrant on set i don't know but it, it feels like there's an energy in that movie you know, he has never lost one nickel on a movie. Oh, I know. I have never. I watched a documentary about him. He said he's never lost a nickel making a movie. He even signed his book. Welcome to Tromaville. Well, all I need to know about filmmaking, I learned from the Toxic Avenger. So are you a, <laughs> a, a new, uh, what is it, uh, Newcomb High? Newcomb High, I think, is okay. Sergeant Kabuki Man's pretty good. How about uh, Samurai Cop? Samurai Cop's not a trauma movie. Uh, it's not? <laughs> oh, boom. <laughs> I'm starting to feel like Mr. Kelly over here. Uh... This is like Chris owned some video stores, and I feel like he's being that guy. Oh, that's yeah. right. You're that guy. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about that for a second. <laughs> so who Samurai Cop, who made that then? That is just some bananas. Like I think it was an... I want to say it might be an Asian filmmaker. Let me check. I think that was Lee. Wow, I really stepped in it on that one, didn't I? Yikes. Well, hey, I don't even know who y'all are talking about, so y'all keep rolling. That is, Chris is like a super fan. Um, Written and directed by Amir Shirvan. Told you. Please tell me that's the DVD in your hand right now. The DVD. 
It's the worst. Cover. This is the worst cover for a movie. It ever. is a bad cover. Does not sell this movie whatsoever. You know what? Dustin got his CDs out or DVDs out the other day and watched Ninja two and three. I think. Oh, nice. Yeah. So <laughs> he said otherwise. Uh, y'all are y'all may be a super couple. Well, so well, here's the thing. Come and back. I hope you can still hear me. I'm not a. I'm not a. I'm not necessarily a big trauma fan, but I am a big exploit. I. I'll I so I'm a big Canon fan. Okay. So Wait, like, what do we have going on right now? Like, like, like force. Are you prove to me that you are a Canon? Okay, so you ask me a question. You and and we'll see if I can answer it. Get get them. What was Masters of the Universe meant to be a sequel to? <gasps> Ooh. And Franklin Jella, and I actually own it. And Dolph Lundgren. Man, the Beastmaster Beast Master wasn't a canon film. Did you hear yeah. about Beastmaster, by the way? What's that? Did you hear about Beastmaster? No. They lost the, the original negative. And so it's like the, I don't want to say 40th, 35th, 40th anniversary. And Don Coscarelli has put a call out to see if anybody might know anything about a print that might be available or if a negative may have been stored somewhere. Because they can no longer find the original negative to that film, and so they can't remaster it. Uh, it it uh, I own it too. Yeah. I own Dungeon Master. Do you remember the Dungeon Master? Yes. Wow. Well, don't By the way, Beastmaster. What's your favorite B movie? What's my favorite B movie? Favorite B movie. I would. Uh, well, my yeah. favorite movie of all time is uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Okay. And but I that's more it, of an exploitation, don't you think? Well, one hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't even know what that is. It is oh. written by Roger Ebert. Really? It's written two movies. <laughs> both of those movies for Russ Meyer. They're both like wow, gong shows. It like, starred uh, Patty Duke, or was that Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? It was Patty Duke. Dolls. That's the Hollywood movie. Yeah, Beyond that was the Valley of the Dolls. Is like the <laughs> trash version. Okay, so what was the answer to the trivia question? Yeah, so what what is it supposed to be a it to be cyborg too? And then it all fell through and he did that. So what is it? Golan and Globus there. Uh, Golan Globus, yeah. Yeah, they didn't want to lose all the money, so they just like threw together Masters of the Universe to take advantage of all the costumes and the sets. And that's why it has nothing to do with He-Man. It looks nothing like He-Man. Um, and the story really isn't a He-Man story. It was meant to be the sequel to that movie Cyborg with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Oh, who, and that, who just like, they don't let anything go to waste. It's like Roger Corman, where they're just like, oh, no. we spent all this money, we have all this stuff, we got to make a movie with it. Have you, have you seen, uh, have you seen the, the Canon documentary? Yeah, we saw, we saw the one not made by them. They were not in the canon documentary because as soon as they heard that someone was making a movie about... They started making it because they were trying to beat him to the yeah, finish. Seen that one, but we saw the the other one that they made, yeah. That one is... Uh, Which one do you think was more subjective? Uh, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my favorite movie of all time is Creature from the Black Lagoon. Nice. Um, but my favorite B movie... I would say is either Chopping Mall yeah. or Death Spa. Death Spa is great. 
Oh. Wow. <laughs> Are you not a trash horror or trash cinema fan? I've got him actually I'm watching sure. some of them. That's why it's he's shown me chopping malls shit chopping so malls. many times. I am also. In- I've seen a few, but it's not my thing so much. We used to host bad movie nights. Yeah. With our friends. Actually, my favorite bad movie. Uh, you might agree on this. It's called Doom Asylum. Incredible. Have you seen that? Mm-mm. Oh, no. it, the Blu-ray that just came out from Arrow that that looks amazing. It's got um Chris. Hey Jeff, remember when you forgot my birthday? Maybe yeah. you do want to do Is that. It, Is it I don't know. Uh, I forget Davis? her name. Kristen Davis, she's in Sex, Sex in, in the, the City. And it also has but uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the brunette though, right? And, yeah, the brunette. And yeah. Patty she was also Jerry Seinfeld's girlfriend on Seinfeld. She oh, was she? Yeah. It was definitely the prettiest one of all them. Yeah, no doubt. Patty Mullen from Frankenhooker is in it. Frankenhooker. I love that film. Yeah. And so Doom Asylum. If you could track it down. Doom Asylum. Okay. So Doom Asylum? Doom Asylum. Doom Asylum. Yeah. So it was out on DVD um, by, I think, a company called Code Red. And then for some reason, Arrow decided to remaster it and put it out. Because Arrow remasters everything. Amazing. And so the guy who did Doom Asylum, he also did a film called Scared Stiff that Arrow also just put out. Scared Stiff is a fun watch, but it is, is not as fun as Doom Asylum. You is know, it- recently I bought uh, The Video Dead. Yep. Uh, the Video Dead and uh, what came with that one? The one where the, the they have the big, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, uh, that, where they have, Terror Vision. Yep. Richard, is it yeah. Richard Gale that's in that one? I don't know. It's the but girl that does like Chopping Mall. She was like in the beginning of Chopping Mall. I think she's the mom in it. Yeah, uh, yeah these are great movies. These yeah. are great ways to spend your day. Mm-hmm. What is the one we just watched? This like hilarious. Oh, Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Oh, that's he made a ton of them. So he has like a a fifteen DVD series called Bombs, Babes, and Boobs or something yeah. like that. You got it right over there. <laughs> I used to help. Um, I, I was that's Malibu Express, Hard Ticket oh, yeah. to Hawaii, all those. They're all they're tons of fun. I, I showed her sister Hard Ticket to Hawaii, and she was just like, "There's a lot of sex in this movie." You know? Yeah, and they talk about a lot of diamonds in it. Hard Ticket diamonds. to Hawaii doesn't have sex. <clears throat> it doesn't just have helicopters and babes and the guy from the Bold and the Beautiful. <laughs> it also has like exploding toilet snakes. snakes infected with. Cancer, cancer, cancer snakes. The the cancer snake is the greatest thing ever because it has nothing to do with anything. It's at the beginning and then it just comes back at the end, and it's it's a brilliant. Those are two horrifying things: cancer and a snake. You you do your best thinking with your top off in a hot tub. One hundred percent. Yeah, that's how I feel. We just watched. Um, the guy who had done murder mafia style or massacre mafia oh. style, and this other one that was Duke. called um, Gone with the Pope. Gone with the Pope. Duke Mitchell. So Duke Mitchell was like a lounge singer around Frank Sinatra time, uh, famous. But for some, reason, are you writing this down, Jeff? I, I've got to get guests for you somehow. This movie is incredible. So. So Grindhouse releasing, who put out like Cannibal Holocaust, uh, The Beyond, um, Pieces, um, they got this movie, I think with the Alamo Drafthouse, I think they might have worked together on it, um, called Gone with the Pope, 
and um, it was unfinished when this guy Duke Mitchell died, and they ended up. It was from I think eighties. They finished it in the two thousands. Um, and Gone with the Pope is one of the craziest movies we've ever seen. And we ended up watching it in San Francisco front with these two guys who run the. Um, it was the Arrow in the Head, and uh, it's another hole in the another head. hole in the head and the unnamed film footage festival. And they showed us Gone with the Pope. And then when we came back to Montreal, we found his other movie, which is called uh, Massacre Mafia Style. And it is pretty much Duke Mitchell, who was this lounge singer, decided to write, direct, and star in his own movies. But he was like definitely like well into middle age. Oh, yes. Well, okay. So here's an interesting fact since you say that. Yeah. So uh, Jim Wynorski is who did the Hard Ticket to Hawaii, right? I know Andy Sedaris. Andy is, uh, Sedaris, I'm sorry. Andy. Jim Wynorski was Chopping Mall. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, Jim. so yeah. so Andy Sedaris, you remember in the the line where they're in the restaurant and he was like, "Hey, I love you. I'm not just a fast talking producer." Yes, that's him. I know. And then he and she's just like, "Are we gonna?" Yeah, talk she said, "You almost you almost raped me last night," and he said, "That was last night." And, and then they just move on. That was last night. That's the weirdest cameo for a director. Ever in a movie, <laughs> and it's the weirdest cross-dressing I've ever seen in a movie. Even the the, the interview, skateboarding guy, the skateboarding guy, but the interview with the football players, very because strange. you know, do you know though, before he made movies, Andy Sedaris has won fourteen Emmys for That's sports not- broadcasting. Yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah, for sports broadcasting. Maybe there's he's a football invented, player here. He's who invented the honey shot in sports casting, which is when you put it on the cheerleaders. He's who invented oh. that with the cameras. So, so he's he's got yeah. 14 Emmys. Now, the another weird cross-dressing one is Never Too Young to Die with John Stamos. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, it's got Gene Simmons in it, John Stamos. Uh, what was the girl? She was in a couple things. Um she was also in Action Jackson. Oh, Apollonia. No, it's not. No, Apollonia. not Apollonia. She looks like her, but it's not Apollonia from the Purple Rain. Yeah, it's the other one, though. Uh, the other, like, prince protege. No, right. Action Jackson. Got a little tiny mole. Uh, oh, man. She's got a uh, fantasy or delicious or divine or something like yeah. that is her. Vanity. Vanity. That's it. So, Yeah. I'm not as good as you on this, but you got me on that one. I didn't win the 14 Emmys. Yeah, so he he won all kinds, and so that's why he put that football thing in there. That makes and then sense. if you yeah. watch those other ones like uh, Malibu Express and stuff, that is the continuation or the prequel of yeah. those characters before Hard Ticket to Hawaii. Yeah. The beginning of Hard Ticket to Hawaii, they're on the Malibu Express boat. And right, and if you look in the in the bedroom, they have the Malibu poster. Express poster hanging on the wall. It's too meta. <laughs> they, so are these all B movies. What is the one we just watched? This crazy, like erotic thriller B movie oh. too. That was so funny. In the cold of the night, Nico Mastrokis, I think his name is. He did Island of Death. Um, uh, we the wind, which just Arrow just put out. Arrow's putting out a bunch of his stuff. I don't, I don't know those. I've never yeah. heard of those. Island of Death was like one of those band movies, like Video Nasties from the eighties. Right. It's it's a watch. It is a watch. It's totally dated, but I quite enjoy it. But 
he made this weird erotic thriller called In the Cold of the Night. That it, it has to be seen to be believed. It uh, is. It has the, bonkers. the least sexy sex scene. I believe that has ever been. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> takes, uh, that might be in the room. No, oh, this it's, is it's so very much close. weirder. This, he takes a bowl of marbles and just, just pours it, it all. pours it all over the woman while she's naked. Uh, just cold. Well, her. okay, so let's go back to Never Too Young to Die. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Stamos eats two apples and drinks a Perrier before. <laughs> Nice. They call that a Stamos. I don't know if you know that. Oh, that that's a sex move. That's a Stamos. <laughs> Jeff, you hear that? Eat two apples and drink a Perrier. Oh, I'll be have so much energy. I'll just be bouncing. <laughs> that's amazing. No, by the way, I love John Stamos's Geico commercial. Just <laughs> his Oikos hey, commercial. Way, way, so I know we're having fun, but I want to I want to get back to something in the movie. It, okay, for people that haven't obviously watched the movie yet. Um, uh, your movie, Dead Dicks. <laughs> Dead Dicks, everybody. Um, the opening scene is very, very dramatic, up close and personal. Mm -hmm. I won't say what it is, but it's a life or death situation. But I, I think what, what first of all, <laughs> when I watched the movie and I saw there's nudity in this, folks, full frontal. It's not just tatas and booty for girl. If you're growing, he wants to see some peepees. This is your show. Uh, it's uh, no boobies, Jeff. I know. No, no boobies. But hey, women, you have uh, Richie. He's uh, he's not just a medium guy. Whatever you want to say. Um, but hey, that was extremely pun intended, ballsy. But um, how comfortable or uncomfortable was he with that? And how comfortable or uncomfortable were you guys with that? Or is that just part of the story? Well, we we told everybody, because all three of the leads were supposed to be uh, naked in the movie. And so when we told no, them- Not through the whole movie. Not through the whole movie. <laughs> what a way to sell your actors. Listen, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to be completely nude. The rebirth is just like birth. You're naked. Um, and so we told everybody before when we were like, look, we, if you want to be in this film, this is something that's a requirement and, and not like we're not going to flinch or like, or like you have to be naked and it has to be this thing, but we were just like, we want to do it this way and we want you to be comfortable with that. And so everybody was cool with it. They all signed their nudity writer. So it was all like legit. Um, really? There's yeah. a nudity writer? Yeah, yeah. Well, believe it or not, we actually used uh, even at our budget level, we used union actors, uh, which was an unusual move for such a uh, micro, micro budget movie. So we had to go through the actors union. So we had to do it legit. A legal um, type of situation. Jeff, right? I made you sign one for this show. <laughs> I know. You didn't know what you were signing, did you? I knew you didn't read it. Use. But when I, I, I did text us, I was like, no wonder you like this film. You know, I took a shot at him, but so so you had to use the union, and I'm sure, like you said, that's legal reasons. You need to make sure it was yeah, all done. Yeah, sure, all the actors were safe. Everything was comfortable above line. But also, it, the reason why we went through the union is because because we are in Quebec, like is a majority French speaking province, city, um, and also industry. So to find English speaking actors in Montreal, they do exist. They are here, 
but they're very limited. In really? Their number. Okay. As most would go to Toronto or to New York. Okay, I can see that. And what did we say about those places? They're, they're okay. Oh, okay. I don't think that's what you said. Their okay. bagels are trash. Let's yeah. move on. They're, they're wow. Poutine. So poutine, poutine, poutine. trash that way. Yeah, I think it's poutine. called poutine. Poutine, poutine. bagels, poutine. Montreal only. I I, I got where you're coming from. Are a thing. Like yeah. they are delicious, and Montreal. Sorry. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Quebec bagels is a thing. Yeah. Not Quebec. Montreal. Montreal, because Montreal has something like the third largest population of Jewish people outside of Israel. Oh, you know what they do with bread? It's amazing. <laughs> Make some delicious, delicious <laughs> bagels. But we had it. There was a contest. Also, it's Jewish New Year tonight, so Shantova, everyone. But <laughs> everybody, Shantova, yeah, whatever that is. Well, I, I'm I'm taking it that someone might be Jewish on this show tonight. Is anybody Jewish? No, my grandmother's Jewish. I'm not Jewish, but I grew up. Uh, probably ninety five percent of my friends growing up were were Jewish. Shout out to matzo ball soup. It's way yeah, underrated. Yeah. Jewish penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the uh, the Mexican. Uh, what is the what? Uh, oh, uh, menudo. No, Menudo? but they, uh, but, Menudo, but, yeah. but that's not the good one because that one, Menudo oh, has the organs the, in it. The tripe and the testicles. Uh, right. You got to get the yeah. other one. Uh, yeah, it's it's a yeah, whole I, thing. You, yeah, when it cooks, it smells disgusting. So no, thank you. So in Montreal, anyways, I don't remember how I got on the bagel thing, but. You so, were saying that everybody else sucked and sorry. Montreal and Quebec were the only good things. Montreal and New York had uh, like a bet. The mayors years ago when I was growing up had a bet and it was like our smoked meat sandwiches versus pastrami and really? versus their bagels and then their meat one but our bagels one. So bagels well, and lox essentially. Why can't you yeah. cut the bagel in half and put Put the sandwich in that, right? I, I oh, wouldn't that be amazing to get a New York Ooh. Montreal bagel? Oh, that would be amazing. Amazing. Yeah. great job, Jeff. Ooh. Hashtag problem. Yeah, I mean, the, I've also had a smoked meat poutine, which is kind of like poutine with pastrami. That's amazing. That's Jeff, there we go. Hashtag for this show, it's going to be hashtag two way. Yeah. Two <laughs> way. I like it. How? What are we talking about? Hashtag Eiffel Tower. Well, yeah, they all had to be naked. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we went through the union because in Montreal, the the pool of English-speaking actors uh, is very small. Mm. So um, the most talented ones are pretty much in the union. So we, ha we decided okay. to was in the union. And Jillian was, uh, Jill was in the union, and so we just decided to do it that way. And so, therefore, we just had to do a lot more paperwork. But the union was really great and supportive. And I think our film was one of the first really indie films that they kind of gave us, you know, they were willing to kind of go to our budget level and work with us to make sure that, you know, we could use those actors. Um, and they were great, you know, like, and I think also because we we're in Montreal, you know, like it's the union might be more. Open to that kind of stuff here because there's not okay. a lot of English language films being shot in Montreal, especially by local filmmakers. Yeah, it's a service town. Like huge, like big movies will get made here. Like they'll film sections of like a Marvel movie here all the time. All the X Men movies are shot here for some reason. Um, really? 
always gets listed first as the actors because he was in like x-men apocalypse but he plays like a police officer that's in like one scene doesn't matter so it'll yeah. be like it'll say like dead dick starring mad and then it'll be like x-men apocalypse yeah. and he's like yeah, <laughs> that, hey, listen, I think Vin Diesel said it best. Whether you win by an inch or a mile, a yeah. win is a win. True, and if yeah. you can get that put on there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, our stunt coordinator, Warren, was also an X-Men apocalypse. Yeah, he was one of the four horsemen. And you had the guy who devoted his time to making Matt's face that was in yeah, Star Wars. Actually, our stunt coordinator, like, too, um, Warren, him and his dad. First of all, Warren's like six foot nine or something like that. He's just a giant. Um, and his dad is the same. And his father um, is one of the top um, stunt coordinators, Game I think, period. possibly in the industry. And so Warren grew up with, around all that. And he was friends with uh, Christina, who is the bartender in Dead Dicks. Okay. And, um, yeah. We were like, oh, would you want to come and do our stunt coordination? So he's like, oh, I've, I've been a stunt the double and I've done stunts. And he's in tons of shows. And if you check check him out on IMDb, he's just in tons of stuff because he's so What's big. What's his name? Warren Shearer. If you go on our film or you go on X Men Apocalypse, his name is there. Um, yeah. But um, I he, think it's S C H E R R E R. Yeah, I think something like that. Yeah, he's just like Jay Shearer that came here. Yep. And um, he watching him do the stunts, he was like, "Okay, so when Heston and Matt are fighting." Um, Warren went into the room. He put the mats everywhere. He's like, okay, you're going to be in front of the mirror. You'll turn and you'll hit the bed. And if you want, you could kind of do this flip. And Warren flipped over the bed towards us. And he's so big that we were all just like, ah, because his <laughs> body was just like enormous. And then when Heston did it, Heston was just like, bloop, bloop. <laughs> yeah there he is yeah that's warren so yeah he was one of the horsemen yeah there's a picture of him right there the x-men apocalypse movie yeah nice so uh, question for 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 uh heston or richie groom or not groom that's the question groomed yeah man I, I mean is you know manscape or not manscape oh, like, what, i don't know I mean, Okay, he's so, not, look, he's, I knew that Chris knew what you were talking about, and she had no idea right when you said it because she was like, "What? The not, not all men are." Is he manscaped? Yeah, <laughs> as hairy as other men. Some are very hairy and half. <laughs> hair he is Italian. Other it ones ends up looking like a clown today. with a big <laughs> nose sticking out of it. It looks yeah, like a Chris. clown head with. Dustin didn't have a beard last week. I mean, just, yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm, I've been growing this for three days. <laughs> yeah. Um, the thing about, so were the actors comfortable with their nudity? They very much were comfortable. We tried to be very careful and follow all the rules of like closed set and mm -hmm. all, all the things that had to be there, which have rules like your your um, costume, or for us, our costume designer and our wardrobe person were the same person. She did both jobs. So she had to be on the side with a bathrobe. So the second that we would call cut that, you know, they could be covered. But our actors were like, no, I'm fine. Like they just were like totally with, free. Yeah. And then the scene, the, like when Heston was naked with the cereal bowl, um, we did a few takes and one where the milk kind of went everywhere. And then I went to refill it. And then I was like, I didn't want to look 
<laughs> so I tried to just look in his eyes and fill his cereal bowl. That seems even creepier. Somehow that seems even creepier. Milk. Just give him the milk. And Lee's like, no, I'll do it. And she's like staring at him, just like pouring. <laughs> yeah, that seems super <laughs> creepy. I could do it. <laughs> no, I'm good. Nope. Yeah. 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 That's that's hilarious. But you know what? Um, more more power to that guy. Like we were just talking about sex scenes and how awkward it was for the the director and the lead actress um, in the honeymoon phase. You know, having a sex scene and, and a lot of them um, and a lot of them that were cut, which was really funny. As ask your question that you asked before, though. It's so great. The question I asked before. Yeah, during the honeymoon phase interview. Um, you have to help. Essentially, me. he asked. If oh, how do you not? Yeah, how do you not get a boner? <laughs> He's like, I don't, I don't get it. What, what happens if you do that? Well, and Dustin was like, I think he expected. I was like, No, that is not expected. <laughs> um, I've never been in a sex scene, but I can say that at least the the way our set was, it was like not sexy times at all, and very cold. And um, <laughs> oh, it did not seem like that at points. It seemed like it was very hot. Maybe someone had a blowtorch or something was heating that room up specifically. Temperature for the boys. Well, I know that uh, Heston. It was his first time going nude in uh, a film. Jillian had been nude in a play before, but ended up that we we didn't make her be naked in the movie in the end. But he did do some preparation. He went to a nude beach in LA, in LA, or just outside LA before, and he said he his best friend is a gay man, and he invited him to come with him to the nude beach. And then he said he stripped down and he just asked his friend, and he said. Is it normal? Should I be? <laughs> should I be brown or just? I'm it okay. moved. <laughs> yeah. Does it look normal? And then his friend was like, "You're totally fine. There's nothing weird about it. You'll be okay." He had. No, I think that's actually a. Um, that was a test. If he failed that test, I doubt he would have done that. So there is and a so, lot of merit so, to that. And so here's the thing: since we're talking about this, Chris, you have a past in this area. Is that correct? That's yes. Right. <laughs> so at one point you were a double on a movie, but oh, what kind of stunt double were you? Years ago, I lived in Vancouver, and um, which we all know sucks. Yeah. Oh yes. It's and, very expensive. And, no, no, it's all right. I guess it's just the Putin sucks. Um, and um, I did a lot of extra work, and I was working in the film industry, and I built sets on movies and TV. Um, You're taking too long to get to this. And a, you friend, a friend of mine called me up and he said, I'm casting a movie and we have one role yet that we haven't been able to fill. And do you want to do it? And if you do it, you will get into the actors union. And I was like, oh, 100%. If I get into the actors union, then all of a sudden I get more money. I get to eat like off of the union truck. I get better food, all that stuff. So I said, yeah, I'll totally do it. He's like, okay, but you got to have, you got to be like full frontal naked. I'm like, Oh, okay. That's the part. <laughs> I was like, nah, I don't think so. And he was like, okay. And then I went to sleep and I woke up the next day and I'm like, fuck, man, that union truck, though. You looked in the mirror that morning. And then I called said, him up and I was like, okay, I'll do it. What do I have to do? He's like, well, you're, well, you're let's talk about that for a minute because I, I'm, 
I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around. You're so opposed to it that you're like, no, not doing it. Yeah. But then you think about a food truck. Yeah, I was just I was like on that food I was, truck. I was extremely poor, and <laughs> I was just like, and I get that. But there has to be some really, really egg, good stuff on that food truck and lobster. You don't know. Oh. You don't know what they feed the extras. Bagged lunch. I'm like I could be eating a hot lunch and get paid twice as much money. Well, luckily you woke up that morning. You said, "Chris, I said, Let's is this normal?" It. Yeah, is it? Chris said, "Yes, this is normal." <laughs> he said, "The character is called Officer Medium," and I was like, "I could do that." <laughs> and I'm like, "Is there an Officer Small?" He's like, "Yes." And I'm like, "You don't want me to do that, be that part, right?" <laughs> Good for you. Like, I'll take Medium any day of the week. And he was like, "Here's the thing." Yeah. Officer Small left. We're going to need you to cover that. Yeah, <laughs> um, and so I showed up. I was actually like a uniformed police officer auditioning to be in a sex film. That's um, the weird character. So, so this was a X-rated film. No, no, this was this was this was a movie about the sex industry. Okay. And what they wanted to do was kind of like. Um, they wanted to like the reverse the roles instead of there being tons of like female nudity, there was going to be a lot of male nudity. Okay. 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 So I'm not finished. I'm not going to tell you what it's called. Um, but will I, you tell uh, us off air? I went up. No, I went, <laughs> I went in and of course I walked in, they put me in costume. I walked in. And as soon as I walked into the room, that was the auditioning room. I actually saw one of my good friends who was the cameraman and he was like, Oh no. And I was like, ah, what? <laughs> I had to like in front of my friend. And then afterwards, oh, that's funny. Me, and I was like, you ask him okay. normal. Bro? And he said, basically, is it normal? Yeah. I said, was it okay? And he was like, Oh, it was really funny. I'm like, no, was it okay? And he was like, he said, yeah. no, I thought your acne was, he was like, it was fine. You should have seen the guy before. I was like, okay. Oh, <laughs> so, I, I hate to beat this dead horse, but um, is it in your biography or anything? No, it's nowhere. So how, okay, so here's my question about it. How did you get your card from it if it's not credited anywhere? So what happens is when back then, I don't know if this happens now too, is like okay. independent set. And so anybody involved in the set, um, if it got converted, let's say to a union gig, everybody goes with it and so that's why my friend was like if you just put your name in you'll automatically get your card the credit counts it doesn't matter if the film is finished because of course you get the credit like you get the union credit the moment you're in the movie because it has to go through the union so i got the credit i went to the union the next week they gave me my apprenticeship and all of a sudden i was in the union and then, thankfully for him, the, the film, film never, never came got out. completed. Oh, great! Right. That's a win-win for all. Wow. Of us. Yeah. So, well, can you use because uh, I'm, yeah, officer medium. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I'm interested in this because so, say you would have used like a a different name or something like a stage name. Does that still covers you though, right? Like you're still you still get your actors guild and all that yeah, kind of stuff, a right? A lot of actors don't use their real name, right? And so not because they're ashamed, but just because they take a stage name or something like that. Yeah, I worked like Ethan Tremblay. What movie's that? It's due date. <laughs> That's not a B movie. 
It's it's not a B movie, but it's a very funny movie. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, okay. you... oh, it doesn't matter. Oh yeah, you know what, Jeff? If that movie, I... would have, it's not like I'm ashamed of that movie or anything like that. Like I've done a lot of stupid things when I was younger. And... No, no, and I don't want you to I... be embarrassed, but I would love to see. I I like to see. He just wants to see it. He wants to see you, Chris. He wants to see you. Let's just face it. That's what he's doing. He I... wants another movie. He's got to see. Here's I, the I've thing. I've never even seen well, it. Well, no, here's the thing. I like to see, like, you know, you and I talked. <laughs> if you want the other... it, I'll show it. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Oh, we're what I'm so saying is, mature. What, yeah, you, you know what? It, you know what? I'm blocking him out. I'm taking him out of the scene. Uh, <laughs> no, what I'm saying is, I love to see where people came from like because that movie had to be like a really bad movie didn't to especially not get finished right yeah that's well honestly i i'm sure there's tons of stories about movies that just run out of money you know like, right this because so much could go wrong have, have you um have you seen the movie spookies uh that's an older one right like an older it one. had a different name right it goes yeah. under two different names right yeah, yeah. But um, Vinegar Syndrome just put out a Blu-ray of it. And there's a documentary on there about exactly what happened to the film and the filmmakers. And it's, it's, it's horrible to know that spending years of your life on a project um, can just be taken from you like that sometimes, right? And so I think it happens more than we know. And actually, a friend of ours was um, developing a TV show called Untold Horror that was discussing those films that just never happened with hmm. you know, different okay. filmmakers like John Landis and Joe Dante and all the films, the scripts that they still have that they're just like, Oh yeah, this never happened, you know? And so I think that a lot of filmmakers have that story. I have a book about Terry Gilliam and uh, it has a whole section on when he was going to uh, do the Watchmen in like the eighties. He was going to do. Oh, that would not have been a good idea. Not at all. Um, but you know, like it was two years of his life or something like that. Yeah. And, and you see it all over. I mean, you even, we talked about Canon films for a while. I mean, they got so big and they were just, they, they, they had like 80, 85, 90 movies in production, like, like just rotating on a schedule. I think they were making like, I think they made like 40 to 80 movies a year yeah, and they yeah. just, they bought that they bought that building in LA and they just like started going crazy. They signed Chuck Norris and and they just started kind of going crazy and and the wheels just kind of fell off all of a sudden. Yeah, they, well, I, I just watched Cobra the other day. Oh, I, that is one of my that's probably my favorite Sylvester Stallone movie. That movie totally ran away from me. It was a canon film that got that they just couldn't manage. Do you but, know what that movie started out as? I'll ask you a question now. Started out as yes, it started out as another movie. Rambo. Okay. Is that your Rambo guess? Seven. What is it? No, I, don't, I don't know. Started out as Beverly Hills Cop. Oh. Sylvester Stallone was signed on to play Axel Foley, yeah. and he wanted it too gritty, and so Thank they God said, "For Eddie Murray, yeah." So they said, "No, that's too much," and he said, "Fine, I'll go off." He found the guy that wrote the book Cobra. It's, that's not the name of the it's original. Is Cobra where he drove the muscle car, sunglasses, yes. and had the match in his mouth? The 50, yep. 51, I think, Plymouth. 
Yeah. I'm not completely oblivious to your conversation. Yeah. Okay. Continue. So, so they he comes over. He does Cobra. He he writes it. He gets with the guy that wrote Fair Game. Yeah. And he asks the guy, will you put my name above yours on yeah. the book? Because I translated it over. And they said no. And there's actually talks right now about a Cobra 2. That's, that, I'd watch it. I would watch it every day for the rest of my life. Yeah, but the greatest thing about Cobra is you're just like, what does he call himself? He's like the zombie squad. It's the zombie squad, yeah. yeah when, when the cops That's based off a real unit know, in England. Crazy. Yeah, he was like, well, when the cops oh, the zombie squad come out, and there's no rules. <laughs> he just goes into the store, shoots the guy. <laughs> it's amazing. It's so great. You're the disease, and I'm the cure. Exactly. And well, and my favorite part of that, though, is when he gets on the PA and he tells him, you're a lousy shot. I don't like lousy shots. But the guy who plays the bad guy in Cobra is in that weird erotic movie we were talking about called In the Cold of the Night. He the plays- one that plays the night slasher? Yeah, yeah, he plays the best friend of the guy with the marbles. Oh, wow. I've got I've to gotta check this out now. Huh. Me well, too. Yeah. You know who directed Cobra? Ben Keeling. <laughs> David Attenborough. Oh, damn it. How's the next I'm going to say it this way, but it's the father of Panos Cosmatos who directed Mandy. Oh, oh, uh, uh, oh um, oh, it's. Uh, golly. I, I want to say his name's like Henry or something. No, and he didn't even really direct it. Stallone took That's over the yeah. set and told him, you're going to be the producer. I'll say what goes on. Supposedly uh, they, they had tons of fights on set, but. Harry, was, right? Harry or Henry? I think it's, is it George? George, George Castamos? Many Greek people are named George or Nick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I can't help but nerd out about these right. movies. They're so oh, great. You shouldn't say that again. He did a, a great film that was shot in Montreal called Of Unknown Origin with Peter Weller about a giant rat living in his basement. <laughs> nope. Really? Check that one out. How about, uh, how about uh, is it uh, Alligator? Alligator, yeah. Yeah. My, my middle sure. daughter is a huge fan of Barracuda. Oh, nice. Yeah. He I also hears his kids to death where they won't come back out of their room. Nice. My right. my old so each of my kids have a different kind of movie they like to watch. So my oldest daughter is huge into horror movies, and she's seen a, a lot. She's seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, all kinds of you know from beginning to end. Then my middle daughter is like sci-fi, B seventies, like Barracuda, um, the older like uh, Bride of the Monster, Plan Nine from Outer Space, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then my youngest does like Star Wars, Star Trek. So I've I got a pretty good, you know, run. So you see it. what he's doing, guys? He's such a movie nerd. He gets to watch everything he wants to watch anyway. He just designates them around the times he needs them to come in the room. I try and do that, but our kids are too young. On Friday nights, we force them to watch a movie of our choosing. Yeah. Every Friday. So, like, what are some recent ones you've done? So tonight and last Friday, we watched uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and then because you're doing Face the Music, right? Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, (laughs) and 
usually they complain they really don't want to watch them and then they really enjoy it. like we just watched edward scissorhands was it oh i could imagine for them that was wildly entertaining yeah. entertaining yeah. I mean, jim burton's a great director yeah we've watched beetlejuice we've watched the monster squad we watched gremlins Ghost wait Bugs. a minute you watch beetlejuice with your kids they loved it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. here's what i did before i had my third daughter <laughs> my two oldest i thought when they were about oh man probably I don't know, eight and four, maybe seven. I thought gremlins. Yeah. Mom threw the gremlin in the blender all over. I, it yeah. was a horrible idea. I had to shut it off. I watched gremlins with my daughter when she was probably three or four, the younger one. Mm -hmm. She loved it. I watched Ghostbusters with her. She loved oh, it. Great movie. That to the older one, and the older one could not sit through them. So the younger one has more of an interest in that kind of stuff. By the way, how they're they're what you say uh, eight and six or eight and six now? Yeah. Um. Don't don't let them see Poltergeist yet. No, um, that's, I think that's a bit much. Well, well we talked about that. My parents scared the living crap out of me with that movie. That's one of the scariest movies I've ever. You know, in my time, my age, and my life. Yeah, that movie was scary as hell. I saw a picture of you. I want to ask you. I saw a picture of you, um, holding like a stick with an ice skate taped to it. Oh, me? <laughs> yeah, what does that come from? So Chris uh, had uh, wrote a script. We, he still has it kicking around. He just got notes on it. Yeah, I just sent it to him. Uh, that is a hockey horror film called Ooh. Zomboni. 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 I love that. And so the first thing um, I ever did as a director was the proof of concept for Zamboni and Lee played the lead character. And so it's like a woman trapped in a locker room and she just ends up taking a bunch of broken hockey equipment and taping it to herself. And then she takes a skate and jams it at the bottom onto a hockey stick as a weapon. And then she like psychs herself up and she even gets a mask. It's like the original Jacques Plant goalie, goalie mask, mask, which I also have downstairs. <clears throat> and she puts that on. And then she kicks open the door and it's just like a hallway full of like hockey players, but are all zombies. And so oh, I love that. And then at the end of the hallway, movie. there's a Zamboni with like exhausts on the side, <laughs> shooting out flames. Barbed wire. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a mix of Dawn of the Dead, yeah. uh, Running Man. In Slapshot. In Slapshot. <laughs> I, I actually sold, uh, pitched it as Slapshot meets Christine. Yeah, so well, the Zamboni is Christine. That's the thing. It's Zamboni. about it's actually about a possessed Zamboni that at the end, when they try and exercise it, it gets stronger and then it starts sucking in players and spitting them out as zombies. Like that. Yeah. And so um we <laughs> he made, wrote that one on his Yeah, own. that was one of the first Oh, you had no part of that? Why are you so quick to, you know, to you distance yourself from that? That's the thing is even lately we were talking about it and she's like, I don't know if I want to be a part of that one. <laughs> Well, part B of this is like you have Cujo, whatever the mascot is, could have got infected, mm -hmm. and then the animal. It's like Cujo meets Christine meets Slapshot. There you go. I love Christine. Yeah, it's an incredible film. Uh, okay, now I think you're taking it a little far there. I don't know that there's really a Stephen King movie that is incredible. Oh, it's, oh well, I don't know about that. You have <laughs> okay. seen Graveyard Shift. <laughs> 
So I like Sleepwalker. For me, is like one of my all-time favorite. Which one? Carrie. Carrie. I would say Misery. I, I, I think. I pro oh, Misery. misery. Yeah, yeah, I forgot about Misery. I mean, Shawshank Redemption. Nope. Oh, yeah. I, okay. Oh, I'm gonna say something very controversial, and I've said it on this show before. You're not gonna say that. I am. If you I say that it, movie. it's over. What'd I hate why, that movie. Why do I hate that movie? Because you don't love yourself. I don't yes. think that's why. Thank I you. think it's because it's garbage. Shawshank Redemption? Yes. I hate that movie. Bro, you're just, you know what you're doing? You're doing the classic go against the grain. No. Go against I, the grain. Listen, I'm all for going with the grain. That is, I do not get. And there are movies, you got to admit, there are movies that people rave about that you just don't understand. I agree with that. I don't. You're doing. I do not get the big thing about the Shawshank Redemption. I I have watched the it. Journey, the struggle, I, the. I've probably the seen it. Ride. No, 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 no. I've probably it. seen it ten times, but I do not. Ten times. I've seen it a hundred. Every minute of every viewing, I'm gonna watch it again. Gonna hate that. I I just don't. Right. <laughs> super hates the Dark Knight. I like, don't. I don't like the Dark Knight. It. I don't like carrying it. The Dark Knight's his favorite. His favorite. It's not, but uh, <laughs> of course you love it. In Returns is his favorite one of those. It it uh, it's it's not. Uh, but I don't. So maybe walk me through this because I don't get it. I don't understand Shawshank Redemption. I don't get what the big deal is. I think it's one of the very few movies um, ever made that is about male camaraderie. There's no love interest in it. Um, it really is just about. Um, struggling through life and all you have is your friends and it is friendship in a very dark place and friendships that I think a lot of people related to. I feel like it's like, it's a movie that for me, I was like allowed me to feel like, Oh yeah. You know, like it's okay. It's okay to open up and be vulnerable and share yourself even in a place like that, because not everybody is bad. Well, that's the only way you're really going to make it emotionally, right? Yeah, now I'll counterpoint that. The Outsiders, Stand By Me. Yeah, with boys. Boys. Yeah. Boys. This is men. Men that could get booty raped in prison, Dustin. Boy, boys are allowed to Okay, be but there's a better version of that. It's called Life with Eddie Murphy and Martin Lawrence. Oh, come I on. actually think it's called, uh, what is it? Uh, Big Stan with Rob Schneider. Oh, with Rob Schneider. Great call. Oh, my God. I, I just, people so say that all the time. Whenever I say that about the show, I just do not get why people go crazy about that movie. Everyone okay. has one thing that's against the great. Yeah. I hate the Beach Boys. <laughs> Everybody. I can kind of see that. I mean, I like them, but I can what, see it. What movie do you, let's go around the horn. What movie do you hate that everyone else likes? I would, uh, my top ones, I would say. Yours is The Dark Knight. Uh, I don't like The Dark Knight. I also don't like Rosemary's Baby. Okay. And, and I don't like Carrie. And those are I movies I've tried to watch multiple times, and it just, nah, I just don't like them. Okay. I don't, I don't know what movies I hate. I. I there has got to be a movie that you go, I don't get it. I. One movie that everybody loves that I hate. I don't know. I don't, hate is strong. It's a strong dislike. Word. Then you know what I no, know. There, no movies are hate. There are 
you you've got to hate a movie that everyone likes. There it's there's got to be one. I'm trying to maybe go around and I'll, I'll Okay, Jeff. I'm thinking of the same thing. I'm I'm struggling here. Um uh This is a tough one. I agree with Lee. Like hate is a strong word, but um, everyone like oh, but no, everybody. I feel like you know. Okay, not everyone likes, but it's very popular. Say a movie doesn't mean like a movie that I hated. Mm-hmm. I can't even. I can't think. There's, I don't know. There's you, so have, many. you have strong opinions, so <laughs> you just can't find one. I I can't I I can't think of one off the top of my head. What there is that not I, a movie that you hate. That I was like I hated this movie. It's so different. I feel well, I mean, like, like you, you're like, oh my god, I hated Speed Racer. Which one is that? Oh, the Wachowskis one. Yeah, yeah. you said like oh, that was. That I can tell you some stuff. I hate, I hate yeah, the Fast. No one like that. You gotta give Speed Racer a second. I no. hate the Fast and Furious franchises. Uh, I do not like those. I, I oh. thought Fast and Furious. I wrote them off, and then Part Five, I kind of got into. Yeah, it. It, they. they I'll lost tell you me. where they really picked up steam: Hobbs and Shaw. Because that rock is a charismatic son of a bitch. I saw that on an airplane. I enjoyed By it. By the way, the y'all know about the rock. Um, his family had COVID, yeah. uh, and and they were they they got over it, but they found out they had COVID because they couldn't smell what the rock was cooking anymore. Oh my god! They didn't smell the rock. <laughs> I think that's going to bring this show to a close. <laughs> Sorry, look, I saw that. Look, Chris is embarrassed. Chris almost got up and walked out and just went and looked at his movies. Yeah. Well, he was just gonna go, go look in the mirror and go. I thought we were having a serious talk about movies, okay? I'm, yeah. Like nice this, job, Jeff. You pissed the guest off. Nice job. Movie look, I thought wasn't good. Lee has I, I, a look on her face right now where she just wants to leave. Yeah, Lee just wants to. I'm trying to think. I feel bad that I can't think of a movie that I do. Well, you should, but whatever, you know. End <laughs> <laughs> this, I'll be like, God, okay. You think about it for a minute. I want to talk to Chris a, a, a couple more before we wrap this up because I just want his idea. Zombie movies. You like them, right? Yes. Best zombie movie ever. Um, I was actually just thinking about it today because there was a list I saw and I was like, look, I'm a big fan. I used to be a big fan of Dawn of the Dead, but okay. I think I love Dawn of the Dead. I That's like his favorite. I think Day of the Dead is a better movie. As I get older, that's weird. As I get older, I think Day of the Dead is a better movie than Dawn of the Dead. But I also think that um, Wreck is a very, very good zombie movie. And it's because it's one of the few movies that uh, a found footage film that I found worked perfectly with the setup and had me squirming and had a crazy ending that i never saw coming that made me very uncomfortable the the spanish one yeah the spanish one not the remake quarantine but the original wreck i i think is a top-notch zombie film okay uh what do you think about return of the living dead a great zombie film tons of fun i I would think i was expecting you to kind of say down that road because that's more of the be trashy oh i love return of the living dead i think it's tons of fun even part two i have i enjoy but I, find I, I think I like one better than two, though. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Lately, I've been three is okay. Three is very weird. It's weird, but it's okay. It's funny because it's like you could see it's Brian Usna, so you could see like the Reanimator influence happening on Return of the Living Dead Three. Love Reanimator. 
you know, like, what is it, self-mutilation? <laughs> like a zombie that's self-mutilating so she doesn't eat her boyfriend or some stuff like that. Although, um, yeah. If uh, you haven't seen Train to Busan, the Korean zombie film, uh, they're making uh, they're making some new stuff. The director yeah, of that's making some new stuff right now. It just came out, but watch Train to Busan. That is a watch great zombie film. If you if you have Netflix, watch Kingdom. Oh we, we have. yeah, that is great. That is one of the best shows, horror shows, plus period pieces together done equally well. It's an amazing. I show. think it's one of the best Korean things that I've seen, and mm -hmm. and I love Korean. Like uh, I saw the Devil, um, uh, the Man from Nowhere. Yeah. Uh, I love Korean films, but it. Um, it, it was great. Yeah, I, I loved it. About two movies. I, I okay. had to look this up because I, I did watch this. I just, I looked up the name of the movie, but I watched it a long time ago and it was called Rabid. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's and a I was, movie. It was an older movie. I, I thought that was good. And how do you guys feel about Shaun of the Dead? Shaun of the oh, Dead is great. really great. I Edgar love Wright. Shaun of the Dead actually. Yeah, Edgar Wright is one of my favorite filmmakers. I think all of his movies were really like, getting better and better and better and better. I wasn't a fan of Baby Driver. That's another movie I actually wasn't a fan okay, of. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah. Um, but um, Rabbit... I don't think without Simon Pegg, though, he's anywhere not, what he is right I, now. I, I think Scott Pilgrim is an exceptional film. Like, you know, I have seen a lot of people recently. It's weird that you say that. I've seen a lot of people post that they're just seeing Scott Pilgrim and that they absolutely loved it and couldn't figure out why they didn't watch it. Chris Evans is in that too, right? Captain yeah, America is in there. Brie Larson's in it. <laughs> you know, like, uh, what's his name? Brandon Ruth. So the Superman, Captain America, and Captain Marvel are in that movie. And the good Culkin. And then, and Rory. Um, oh, the one that's in uh, the <laughs> HBO show. Uh, Succession. Yeah, from Succession. From Succession. Yeah. I thought that was Rory. Oh, oh, like he's a good actor, yeah. Rory Culkin, yeah. For Rabbit, Rabbit is shot in Montreal, and it's shot. And it's about like it has some porn, porn triple X. No, that's stuff. Shivers. You're thinking. Oh, oh no, Rabbit, Rabbit has, has the Rabbit has Marilyn Chambers in it. Yes, she was a porn star. Right? Oh my god, I'm sorry, my daughter. Just like, <laughs> <laughs> it's Richie. He's back. There's just like a face. <laughs> that's a. We were just talking about zombie movies, and you're like, zombie at the door. <laughs> I could just hear breathing. Oh, that is weird. And I was like, what is that? And then I just saw eyes. <laughs> it's our six-year-old. <laughs> That's Sorry. hilarious. No, no, it's quite all right. It makes it uh, even better, I think. Um, and at the right timing, the timing was impeccable. So, have you – you okay? No, it's just my heart. Hey, look, I want to ask you – you know, hold on, Jeff. Let's take a break. Hold on. You tell us when you're ready. I'm good. And go. Well, I was going to ask you about your career and some of the things you did before this and kind of how – did you guys meet on that first film he alluded to earlier? Um, uh, or – and how did you meet? And then also just tell me about your career and how you got to be the director of a film. Oh, um, well, Chris and I met uh, – well, we met twice. Um, the We met about 13 or 14 years ago, um, just through friends of friends. We had we were both born and raised in Montreal, but we'd lived in other cities um, for a few years. And 
came back to Montreal at like very low points in our lives. Like Chris was like uh, coming from a broken engagement <laughs> and uh, bankruptcy and all the things and like living in his mama's now sewing room. It wasn't even his old bedroom anymore. Uh, sleeping on a pull-out couch and I had just finished school. I, Are you night moving at this point? No, <laughs> that was my childhood of night moving, but I, I moved back to Montreal. I couldn't get a job in my field that I had studied. I was working at the YMCA, also living at my aunt and uncle's. It was, we had like no money, super broke. And then a friend of ours uh, turned 30 and uh, wanted to go curling. Oh, I would love to go curling, by the way. <laughs> super fun. Continue on. It's much harder than it looks. Did oh, you I know Jeff Hunt? I, I'm telling him. You know Jeff Hunt that we know. You know he's a competitive curler. That's right. But that's got to be daunting on your your ass and your legs. But oh, anyway, so hard. So we we met each other that night, like curling. Uh, we didn't know how to curl. It was just like a thing he wanted to do for his thirty. Amazing story. So we it was actually, super fun. But then met. it turned out that actually we had met several years prior to that and wow. i had completely forgotten about it but then but, somebody reminded me no no you met chris it was at this dinner party with this guy and i was like oh i hated him yeah. uh, <laughs> don't so, you remember it was officer medium he was yeah. doing security for well that time he was only officer small he, he, many he years prior medium. And then uh oh, we have movies coming. Okay. Oh no, pictures! Nice, look at his hair. That was that night. The chop. So we. Didn't you guys look completely different. I, I I hate to stop you, but can you put that picture back on here again? This, so this is us the first time we met at that dinner party. Turn it a little towards us. There you no, go. We don't look very different. Uh, she. I think he looks completely baby. different. Nah. Like 21 in that picture. The years have not been kind. Yeah, so I was like, <laughs> oh, I was like 26 when I had hair. Um. Anyway, so it turns out that we'd met years before, and when we moved in together, uh, we were on the day we moved in together, we were unpacking my boxes, and a book. He opened a book, and this picture flew out, and then it, it was that picture, and that was the night that we had really? hated each other. And he had grabbed my like fun saver camera. That's how long ago it was, and like taken the old fashioned version of a selfie. Nice. And I was annoyed because I really disliked him. And, I disliked uh, you more. And for years, <laughs> I was like, Who "Why did you dislike her?" I think we were both in a bad headspace and I had, I was living in Vancouver and I had just come back to visit and I guess, I don't know, I was maybe a little pompous and I thought she was a little rude, let's say. I think he said bitchy. Um, <laughs> wow. And so we just, we just yeah. didn't. We did not care for each other. For Anyways, then we met years later at this curling thing. So and rude and punk and, and, and bitchy in turned into curling, and then it turned into dreams well, and kids and, and fantastic and movies. Well, we, wanted, we wanted to show you drawings that our, our children oh, have done. They asked me questions. Okay. First, so this is something that my daughter Abby made for me for Father's Day. Lovely angel. This thing. is the eight year old. And then the six year old. And this is what the six year old made me. <laughs> like it's me and Abby, and we have ripped your heads off. Yeah. <laughs> happy birthday! No, happy Father's Day. 
And it says love Chris. Love Chris. <laughs> but I think maybe she was trying to say, I know you love horror movies. And well, that's the thing is the younger one, I think, is more like me. She gets it. Yeah, she gets me. The um, older one sees me as a rock angel or something like that. I don't know. I try and be like super cool for my oldest daughter who started high school this year. And I'm just not cool. <laughs> I try like everything to be cool. I wear a fanny pack to all of her soccer games. He wears a fanny pack, y'all. That's cool. That's like new. That's like norm core. Isn't it? There you go. See? I try everything to be cool and I'm just not. I don't know. Maybe I'm too old. I hear you. No, it's not one of those things, man. What happens is um, you let her have some friends over when she gets older and whatever, and they're going to see how cool you are and how much you love your daughter, and then you'll be the cool dad. That's just – They're here tonight. A little time. Yeah. Yeah, they're here tonight. Jeff and I are working on getting them in a haunted house uh, at oh, Halloween. Nice. Yeah, one – do a live show at a actual haunted hospital where they make a – like this place is – Bananas. Nice. Supposed to be really haunted, but me and Dustin both, um, we found out that this is one of the haunted houses. Like they can touch you and stuff. Yeah. And both of us like, no, we're afraid we might uh, hurt somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody. they ask us. They go, "Hey, will you come out and do a live show and you know, like, put it out sure. to the people in Texas and get us some stuff built up, and you can go through the haunted house and blah blah blah." Well, my daughter likes that kind of stuff and her friends and all that kind of stuff. So I'm like, yeah, Jeff and I are not going through because I don't like people touching me. Yeah. Yeah. No, me neither. Not in a haunted house, not at the mall, not at a restaurant. I don't like people touching me. And I've seen a lot of those movies like Hell House and all that stuff. And I'm like, I know where this is going. I don't you know. You know what? Interesting these. about Hell House. He is getting ready to shoot the Abaddon tapes. And right. it's going to be a series about That's the Hell before, House. right? Like yep. kind of how it got. Yeah. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. So let's go around the bin real quick. Uh, talk about everything we want to promote. We're at like two hours and 40 minutes here. Uh, I got to I want to yeah, see it goes so smooth with us. We go down so smooth. Uh, we, uh, we need to do some film reviews of B movies together and we'll just throw it on our site. Just, me and you, Lee, if you want to join in. Hey, I mean, I don't think my knowledge is en as encyclopedic as your own, but it sounds fun. Well, you're <laughs> you know, right oh, right like, oh, I know that movie. I hate it. I know that movie. I hate it. <laughs> so, Jeff, I think you should join in, too, because oh, here's no, why no, I, I want you more. I'm, no, no, I'm no. Here's why I here. want Jeff to join into this, because he'll watch these and he'll come on and be like, that movie fucking sucked. <laughs> he he whenever he watches a movie that's how i knew your movie was good because he will call me and tell me like if i have someone on the hook to come on the show or something he'll watch it and go it fucking sucks don't put them on the show because i cannot be nice to them oh i didn't say that so that's how i knew your movie was good because he was like yeah let's bring them on let's talk about them See, so wait a second are you saying i said their movie sucked no <laughs> Okay, no, good. I, I, a lot of people think it's like you saw the philosophical Jeff at the beginning, right? Now you're seeing drunk Jeff. Right. <laughs> philosophical Jeff's coming out, but yeah, I, you know, we got a little philosophical on the sound check, and I shared with you guys, you know, my stuff. And yeah, I've dealt with depression, I've dealt with anxiety. Um, 
I dealt with identity situations. You know, I had a divorce, you know, you know, similar to your story. It's like, what's my identity? Who am I? Especially when I was on playing football in college, sports and stuff defined me kind of in it. It was something I could hide behind. It was something that I was also very proud and, and uh, very, you know, proud and happy about. And when that went away, I was like, who the hell am I? I've always been like star jock, right? So I've went through that stuff. And unfortunately, some of that stuff carried with you for so many years until you really deal with it. So the part of the movie I thought was spectacular. And it took me watching it twice. I told you guys that to really, you know, once you get past the giant vagina on the wall and realize that's both life and death. And, and all the uh, idiosyncrasies and the psychological part of it in the dynamics of the relationship and um, how I also think that, that, you know, once the dead bodies appear and they're cutting them up, how they almost act like they don't even exist anymore. They're just there. And it's very much reminiscent of how relationships, there's all this chaos and fucking tragic around you, but you're so caught up in whatever it is. All that stuff is like not a big deal but it's like dead bodies everywhere. And it's like you, and it's, you know, especially after she sees the scene of her, you know, in the closet mm -hmm. to say that I really appreciated the film because you're right. There is a um, bizarre lesson in all this. And once you get back to the show, you know, that keeps your attention, but there is a lesson and there is a message and there is a, a definite, um, um, how to deal with depression because it's almost like, in my opinion, and I'm getting when he was writing out his journals and he was so, I want to know why I want to know how, whatever that looks like the first time in his life he ever dealt with getting through his shit mm -hmm. and trying to come up with a solution, but he was really already dead. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Hey, don't do that shit when it's too late. This guy had a vagina on his wall. Good for him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> do it now while you're live and uh, make restitution and, and reconcile and, you know, unconditional love, you know, it's holding you back and killing you as much as it's killing the people around you. So yeah. I thought that was brilliant and I had to go back and watch it twice. So that means if you have to rent it twice, you should people, but I really enjoy that part of it. I truly did. Well, thank thank you. you so much. It's very thoughtful. I think it's, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, the sort of in any relationship, in a sibling relationship, which is so long, it's probably your, one of your oldest ones, all your shit that you haven't dealt with, <laughs> all the things even left unsaid are kind of just lying around there mm -hmm. in the room with you. So that's a really great perspective. I never actually really thought about it that way, but. I have, yeah. I, I've thought of every possible interpretation on that. <laughs> I, I will say my favorite, I'm not gonna interpret the film or anything, but I think my favorite, favorite part of the film <clears throat> and it's going to be for a weird reason was that final scene. Well, not final scene, but where she's smoking the cigarette, where we talked about defeat, it almost sound like the sound editing changed in there. Mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because you can hear every crackle of the cigarette when she's taking a pull on it. You can hear every breath out her holding it in every, it, it almost seems that everything around her gets super quiet mm -hmm. and it, it, like the sound just focuses in on her and, and how she's talking. That was my absolute favorite part. I don't want to interpret that to anything, but that was the part that drew me in the most to watch the movie was that uh, I, I don't know if you want to call it a speech or that monologue or whatever you want to call it that she had. 
that was my absolute favorite part of the movie. I think that was the most um, heartfelt part of the movie, like the where she really, really went for it on that part. That was gut wrenching too. I mean, think about it. Like, like Chris said, it wasn't about anger and, and losing and getting even. It was literally like the person that I've done the most for and that unconditional love has done this, and this is where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a shadow of myself. I'm literally not even myself anymore. Yeah. So yeah, that was. I thought yeah, it was point. it was absolutely great. It, it, like and uh, like I said, I'm big on on sound in movies, and when I could hear it, it really drew me in. When you could start hearing every single crackle of the cigar uh, cigarette as she started smoking it, I I, I really like that movie. So we're gonna go around the horn. We're going to promote anything you guys want to promote, and then we'll kind of go from there. We'll make sure that we put it up on everywhere that you can get it. We'll put the links on the show, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, Lee, let's start with you. What do you want to promote? Well, I mean, we're here for Dead Dicks, and we have a wonderful uh, distributor in the States called Artsploitation that put out uh, our Blu-ray and DVD. But we just got a, that's the, the U.S. version. Nice. But we just got a special Canadian edition. It's called the Ultimate Canadian cool. Edition yeah. uh, through our distributor in Canada, oh, Raven Banner. Mm-hmm. And I think you can get some in the States. You might be able to get some um, and, illegally. And it has um, special artwork that we had made by this wonderful artist uh, in the UK. goes by Uncle Frank Productions. It's got a special poster. It's got uh, tons of features. A CD soundtrack. The soundtrack. An essay by Michael Gingold from uh, Fangoria and Remorg. And we're super proud of it. Um, and it, they they really allowed us to go nuts. And they said, like, whatever you want to put on there, just put it on. So we're really, really excited about that. And um, you can get that at Raven Banner. Yeah. Chris? Well, we are kind of at the beginning stages of our next feature. Um, when we made Dead Dicks, we you know didn't really know what would come out of it, but we had hopes that maybe someone would see it and realize that we might be able to make another movie, and that kind of happened. Um, and so we are right now in discussions with um, a producer in Georgia and um, looking at... Uh, we've approached an actor trying to see if we could attach them. And if all that kind of falls into place, we might be shooting in April, 2021 with a film called red acres pandemic, depending of course, of course, if the border <laughs> opens and we can get down there. You said, red and, acres. and this is a pretty well-known actor, correct? He may be, he may uh, or may yeah, not be the one we've, we've sent an offer to yeah. uh, a, a pretty well-known actor. Yeah. Uh, so we'd be really excited uh, if we got him. And by the way, if my agent hasn't responded yet, I will talk with him. Yeah, we're waiting to hear back from your agent. Okay, good. <laughs> his agent is him. He just turns around in his yeah. chair and, and, and speaks in a different just, accent. You know, just spit the you know spit the film and do your thing. And you know, I got two do people. You want to say what Red Acres is about, or do you no. want to stay? Okay, go Red on. Acres question okay. mark. Yeah. I like well, that. I'm looking forward to it. I love the poster for it. Oh, thank you. Love the poster for it. And well, Lee, you're directing that, correct? Uh, yeah, we're we are both directing it. Okay. Co-directing it? Co-directing it together. Do you know you're, you, it's, 
it's been funded. Do you have the number? Don't tell us the number, but sure. do you know the number yet? We do yeah. know how much we're getting. Yeah, it's significantly it's more. more. Um, it's nothing huge. It's still kind of a, a, a lower budget in regards to most films. Um, and we're still trying to see if we can get a bit more money with some pre-sales. So the way it works with movies sometimes is they'll be like, okay, we can give you this amount of money, but if you pre-sell it to a different territory, well, maybe okay. you get another $100,000 or $50,000. Can you kickstart or GoFundMe or anything like that? Well, we're not... I've never done anything like that. And the few people I know that have done it, um, it's a whole lot of work. And in and of you have itself, private investors? Uh, this is a private investor, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it is it is actually funded. Mm -hmm. uh, it's really more of a waiting for the world to kind of go back to normal. Yeah. Or okay, figure yeah. out what the new normal is mm -hmm. to make sure that you know it's still doable with you know being safe. And please, please of anything. Put it out on VOD the day it releases. Well, this might be a humongous movie, you know. Oh, I, I understand, <laughs> but, you know, we, we talked about Cinestate before, and, and they've done some crazy things, and they're in trouble. But what I love about them is they always put their movies in theaters and VOD the exact same day. I think it's and, very smart. And, and Jeff knows... I like watching movies at my house. I have an entire, I have a huge screen and all that kind of, I would rather watch it at my house. Yeah. I get you. I, see, I, I'm okay with that, but I still love the movie experience. I, I do, but I, I think that they have been, that, yeah. I, I think that they've been dirty. Theaters have been dirty. Literally, now. but yeah. That's, that's what's spreading the COVID. It's the that's right. Tell <laughs> them. That's the premise, Dustin. That's it. Yes. <laughs> Anything you want to promote? I want to promote these incredibly young, talented people we have on. Lee, Chris, I want to promote Dead Dicks, Thank and I'm going to promote you to be a full frontal nude scene in their next feature film. Right. Uh, we're already talking. Yeah. Dustin, hey, he'll become Union if you need him to. Yeah. I will say that our next film also has full frontal male nudity. Whether or not the actor does it, we got to get the energy writer. We'll see. Dustin is the guy. <laughs> extra, extra, read all about them. Just a commitment for all our films, I feel, going forward. Women have been exploited for far too long. <laughs> there you go. It could be a butt. It doesn't need to be frontal, but there True. is nudity. Oh, he could do the butt. Yeah, he uh, could <laughs> Guys, please go check these guys out. Dead Dicks came out in 2019. It is a fantastic film. It covers some very serious topics. We joked around a lot tonight, but it covers some very serious topics. They did it on a small budget, but I promise when you watch this film, you won't feel that at all. It feels like a blockbuster. We're looking forward to everything they do in the future. Right now, you can find Dead Dicks on YouTube. You can find it on Google Play. You can find it on Amazon Prime Video. If you have to rent it twice to fully understand it, please, Rent it twice to fully understand it. It's got a strange name, but I promise you in the end, you're going to feel great about this movie after you watch it. It covers so many things, and we're so looking forward to these guys in the future. So that's going to be it for us tonight. This has been a discussion about dead dicks. That's Chris. That's Lee. That's Jeffro. I'm DJ. We're the dads that drink, and we're going to catch you on the next one. See you guys later. Thank you so much. Thank you.